is greater than being a way to engage thousands of people in a discussion about the nature of the crisis of this country and the way forward. And our claim is that Baldwin, among others, but certainly Baldwin as a representative and spokesman for the Black Freedom Movement, especially of the 1950s and 60s, and the fact that we call it appropriately the Third American Revolution, that Baldwin as a thinker of that moment, a theorist of that moment, is in effect a theorist of revolution. Yeah. I'll be very frank and honest with you. Without understanding the black freedom movement, what it represented and its promise for this moment, uh, whatever theory you have that is not uh, that is not uh, taking account of that is not a revolutionary theory. I want to come back to that. I want to come back to that because this is, in a certain sense, the hill upon which we stand. The free school has planted this flag upon this hill at this time for the very reasons of how we look at history and the history of this country. Mm -hmm. And it is unusual. 
uh, by the way, it's something you know we've been working on so hard for a number of years. But I think now with the year of Baldwin, we're getting it closer to right than we've ever had it in the free school. So, um, what I'm saying is that Baldwin is a theorist of revolution, but a theorist of crisis. Uh, a theorist for this time. And I, I, um, I want to just talk a little bit about the political crisis without going into a lot of detail. As everybody knows, uh, Biden um, deconstructed himself or exposed himself or something like that at his press conference on Thursday. Uh, you know that the, um, the Attorney General um, had set up an investigation of whether or not he inappropriately had taken classified documents when he, uh, from the White House or wherever they're supposed to be secured to his home uh, after uh, being Vice President under Obama. And probably, I think they went back even further. He's been taking shit and taking it home and using it to write his memoirs, so to speak. And he had them all over the place and um, so on. So since they were investigating Trump, uh, the pressure was also to investigate Biden. And of course, uh, the takeaway from the report of the investigator was that um, Trump really didn't knowingly do anything. And if he did, you couldn't put him on, on trial because he wouldn't remember anything. And the man, the, uh, the head prosecutor pointed out he didn't even remember when he was the vice president and forgot when his son died. You know, those kind of tidbits, which I'm not surprised, but you know, you look at the guy. Uh, but it, it shattered this political um, uh, shield that they built around him, you know where they bring him out, have a teleprompter, say a few things, and then leaves. People could see certain things, but it wasn't at a crisis point. But then he gives this press conference. And if you haven't seen it, it's worth looking at. I don't think it's more than 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, and what we saw is, in fact, a man who in his mental state is worse than was stated in the report of the prosecutor. Um, he came out angrily and, you know, I guess his White House advisors didn't want him to do it, but they couldn't stop him. You know, as the Greeks say, uh, whom the gods would destroy, they first make mad. And that's what we saw on, di on display. So he comes out and he He's angry, you know, very characteristic of somebody in early stages of Alzheimer's or dementia. You know, they're always angry. Everybody's out to get me. I'm, a, you know, and he's always that far from cursing everybody out. So he um, he comes out and he says um, that the prosecutor didn't know what he was talking about. How could he ever forget 
the death of his son. Well, that happens when you got dementia, money, you know. How could you ever blame me of um, X, Y, and Z of forgetting when I was vice president, uh, and so on. And so ultimately, he's leaving, and you know, this is all part of the drama, the leaving and then stopping to answer the last question kind of thing. So he's leaving, and somebody, and, and the press was very aggressive, yeah. shouting, you know, what are you, you know, because he doesn't have press conferences. So they had to, you know, um, and, and you can hear, you could hear them hollering, hollering at him, what about this, what about the other? And it was, you know, um, uh, like, the, you know, that's the way the American press acts, you know, because they sense that something is being hidden. And that's, they have to, and, and that they're trying to be controlled. So they, you know, it's this kind of strange dance. But anyway, walking out, somebody shouted something about Gaza. And he said, I just met with the president of Mexico, Mohammed El Sisi, who was the president of Egypt. And then he walked. So they said, the guy's gone anyway. The whole opinion page, including the lead editorial of the New York Times today, is all about Biden has to find a way out of this, out of running for president. They're saying that they can't, the guy can't, you can't risk him on the campaign trail, you can't risk him in debates, you can't risk him in uh, uh, press conferences. The guy is gone, and um, that uh, every editorial, including the lead editorial of the, of the New York mm -hmm. Times, and these all these editorial opinions, he he must resign. Now, one uh, one opinion was, and I think this is very important as we go forward in the year, Baldwin, uh, because let me put it this way: because it is a, is reaching. A, a breaking point, a crisis reaches a breaking point. They can no longer hold it together. Um, the, um, uh, what's that gonna sound like again? It's reached a breaking point. So we have to be in this year of Baldwin, not tailing, but on, the advanced edge of all of the political developments, if that makes sense. In other words, as we speak about uh, <laughs> Marshall. <laughs> Come here, man. Quite a long time. Who is he? We went to Lincoln University together. Aww. And he's, he, was, he was one of my brother's best friends. <laughs> His name is Marshall Lee from West Philly. Oh, hi. Hi, From New Orleans, actually. But you live, you live in, you ain't from no New Orleans. No, but I live there now. 
Yeah, right, right. You disowned West Philly. It happens. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this is the Saturday Free School, a part of us right now. Um, my point is that we can't concede any ground on the political and ideological front in this year at Baldwin. Not an inch. In fact, this is a time where Baldwin speaks to this. And we have to be able to demonstrate it. And I think this will be a really high priority or, or central thing when we talk about his novels and the crisis. The systemic crisis and the personal crises. You know, and for Baldwin, the context, the historical context of slavery, Jim Crow, and continued inequality. And that the nation must reconcile with this history. Well, you get my point. We, I, I won't go, we all know all this. But how does all this relate to this political crisis? And again, I want to underline the greatest political crisis in the history of the United States. A crisis that came upon the nation in ways that radical theory could not and did not predict. Mm -hmm. That is why the left, quote unquote, went every way but the right way on the Biden-Trump election. And now, as the whispers say, they lost and turned out. They got distracted on the way to grandmother's house. Now, if you don't know the whispers, you know, that's a song, Olivia. But anyway, it showed across the board the narrowness, the dogmatism, the inability to draw from the great wealth of revolutionary theory that comes out of the black freedom movement. A unique body of thought, you know, it is not European, it is not Asian, but it is organic to this struggle, to this life world. And it's just like, you know, we went to see Howard Hewitt last night, and, you know, I knew all about him, but they didn't, so I had to introduce them. <laughs> but um, Or Patti LaBelle. How do you talk about American music and not talk about her? Or others like her as the ground? It is the ground. Blues and on, B and jazz, that's the ground. Yep. And if that is the case in music, why couldn't Baldwin and Du Bois and King be the ground? Yep. Upon which we think about the crisis and the way forward. Okay? Most Leftists, be they left liberals, social democrats, 
alleged communist, socialist, that type of thing, they proceed from a theoretical framework that does not fit the conditions of this crisis and never will. And, and you, you know, I know a lot of people say, well, Tony, you used to be down with this. Mm. Yes, I was. Mm. I'm still partially down, but I recognize it is not sufficient. Mm. It is not sufficient. And its insufficiency showed up when they all rushed in one another way to endorse Biden. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was the mistake that probably ended the left as we have known it. You know, it is completely discredited. Um, and, you know, all of those people who were cheering and, you know, slobbering at the mouth when Sean Fain came out for Biden as though that was so good and called Trump a scab and all that shit. Like, if you thought that was fun and happy, now look at where you are. Right, 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 right. What do you do when the whole ruling class is saying to Biden, you got to get out of here. You can't win and you're going to bring the whole show down, you know. But if they pull him, they can see the election to Trump. Yeah. Most of them already have, though. They have conceded. Biden can't win. And he will be defeated, not just on the basis of his dementia, but he will be defeated on the basis of policy, mm. beginning with the war policy. Mm. And believe me, and, and I think this is something we have to work on in our, as we go forward in our reading groups and, and our, our thing. We have to understand inflation as austerity on the working people. You know what I'm saying? They try to act like, well, inflation is coming down. Well, for the rich it is, but for the majority of people, it remains as bad and maybe worse when you go to the grocery store. People talk about, well, it's, it's not as bad as, as it was six years ago. But somebody said, well, it's as bad as it was two years ago. Right, right, right. And so there is austerity in the face of war. And this combination of war and austerity is what we are facing in this election. And a ruling class, and this, I mean, <laughs> I, I just, how could you not see this? I'm talking about the left, the so-called smart people, the so-called white people. And that's what it is. It's a white default, default to white. When they say left, they mean default to white thinkers. Right, 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 right. right. They don't ever include, let us say, uh, Du Bois. When they say default, they might throw him in in a footnote, and just like the Saturday so-called fake school, you know. You're not interested in Du Bois in a serious way. You know, you're not interested in Baldwin, none of that. You're not interested in black. So left has turned out to be default to white. Mm -hmm. 
I hate to say it. It's an inconvenient truth. Right, right. Mm. It is, we will go forward without black thinkers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like saying we're going to go forward in American music without R&B or blues or jazz. So what you got left? The Beatles? <laughs> I mean, okay, I'm down. Stevie Ray Vaughan, I'm down. The average, well, average white band is from England. But, <laughs> but uh, I'm down with all of that. But how do you go forward? Upon what hill do we stand? That's biblical. Mm -hmm. Upon what hill? do we stand and it is upon this hill that we stand yep and so we have to be very i'm saying very focused this president is going to either be forced out before the convention in august mm -hmm. or facing massive demonstrations over gaza and other things and they will be massive if three four hundred thousand came to washington you can imagine with Biden and the Democrats and the genocide in Gaza, it will be something the likes of which none of us have ever seen. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. The closest thing to it was 1968. I was in Chicago back then. Hate to admit it, but I was. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, uh, but that was disruption. This would be a complete shutdown. The entire city, definitely the area around where the convention would be held, all of that would be shut down in the greatest political protest, again, in the history of the country. These are the stakes. This is the crisis. And at the end of the day, it is a crisis over whether or not the ruling class can rule. Which means that if it cannot rule, is it a ruling class at all? Mm -hmm. And if it is not the ruling class, then what is it? And if the ruling class can't rule, what comes next? And I, I just, just to think, we can look incrementally or we can look at a sudden collapse. And both are possible. You know, you could get that slow change of things, draw back from war, you know, draw back from the Korean Peninsula, uh, you know, draw back, defund the Israeli regime and let Israel go into a civil war. Or it could be a collapse where they turn on each other, where they destroy their own institutions, where they destroy their own authority. You, you feel where I'm coming mm -hmm, from? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This type of internal struggle, while on the bigger front, there is a massive rejection of them. 
then you've got the other possibilities. You've got the possibility of cold civil war. We're already in that. By cold civil war, we're talking about a, a way of talking about a conflict, a political conflict that has not yet taken up arms. Okay? Mm -hmm. Well, we're kind of in that. Or it could become an actual civil war. Mm -hmm. Or are we in a pre-revolutionary situation? I don't want to use that word too much because it carries too much weight right yeah. now for me. But it has to be considered. Mm -hmm. It has to be considered. Or prolonged chaos, where the country becomes increasingly ungovernable. Mm -hmm. This is the world in which we will live, the choices that we will have to consider, and the ways that we must realistically think about the world as we celebrate the 100th anniversary of James Arthur Baldwin, God's revolutionary voice. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of people, they would think, well, um, oh, it's so nice to commemorate Baldwin. And it is. It's a nice thing. It's a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. To educate people about mm -hmm. Baldwin. Beautiful thing. <laughs> right. You know. But that's not what we're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. That's not what we are doing. Mm -hmm. And we must be mindful and responsible mm -hmm. as we go forward. Uh thing I need to say. You know, we were at a concert last night. And it was really great, Howard Hewitt, um, all black people. And this is what you got to recognize in America. No matter how great a black artist is, their audience is always all black people. There is no equal to Patti LaBelle alive. You go to her concert, all black people. Well, they had a few white people at hers, you know. But you say, well, you see, what do you recognize as valuable? What has value, just in the artistic sense? Um, and so as we go forward, this is a question of our values, the values of the people. And we saw, I think, what I saw in that audience, first of all, it was all working, black working class people. You saw the black proletariat. That's what that was. The best of the black proletariat. The stable proletariat. Not talking about the lumpen proletariat. There wasn't a lumpen situation. You know, were no gangsters and all that shit. No, these are people that pay for their tickets, work every day. And for me, it was an opportunity to do a little bit of sociology. <laughs> I guess the rest of y'all did too. Uh, maybe you didn't. <laughs> but uh, you could see the spiritual strivings of the people. And he, Howard Hewitt, was a very dignified, a very uh, 
an important artist who understood the role of art mm -hmm. in relationship to the people and um, I said that's our audience for the year Baldwin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If we could find ways to speak to them, to be heard by them, mm -hmm. they would readily understand what we're talking about. They know Baldwin yeah. and don't even know who Baldwin is maybe, mm -hmm. but they know Baldwin because Baldwin is them. Yeah. I, I just want to end, you know, there's something about revolutionary theory. Uh, by the way, we're talking about a democratic revolution. I know, let um, me get to uh, uh, Sarah, you, Serafina, you and Alice, your interview yesterday. I want to say something. Mm. Um, they know Baldwin because Baldwin is them. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. So you could transfer. If they know Howard Hewitt, yes. right. if they know Patty, they know Baldwin. Yep. Yeah. Easily. Because it's the same script, it's right. the same language, right. it's the same aspiration. Right. Yep. yep. You know yep. what I'm saying? Yep. Uh, and if Baldwin were there, he would be acting like y'all were. Yes. Because he is that kind of party and cat, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Oh, don't, don't tell them how you act. <laughs> Y'all were very dignified. You can't expose me. I don't. <laughs> um, they know Baldwin. All they need is to hear the totality and magnitude of what Baldwin was saying. That's all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that is the advanced nature of the black proletariat. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know, and I'm, I'm, this is not dogmatic uh, rhetoric, etc. Every instance that there is where they can express their aspirations, they do. Mm -hmm. They do, in a very advanced way. Uh, the other thing is a democratic revolution. Yep. We have to emphasize that. That's what Billy Bob and them were asking y'all. And see, a lot of people, I, I think the guy from Hungary, he wanted y'all to say that Baldwin shows us the way to socialism. Yeah, right. But that's not the answer. Right. Because the path that the U.S. people want is the path to a greater democracy. Mm -hmm. Yep. A different nation, a new nation, a new people. Mm -hmm. And this notion that you can go forward, that ideology is, a, is an externality, an external force, that shapes the working class. What Baldwin says is that it is the resolution of historically constituted personal internal contradictions that decides how people respond to ideas. 
Ideas are not disembodied or separated from people's lives. I don't care where you go. Like last night as an example. You know, one thing, everybody was together, you know, and we were listening to this great artist who talked about how he produces art, you know? and how he does his music, and uh, as well as singing his music, you know? And, well, the fact that he had confidence in the people that they could understand composing music. The other thing is that you had an audience of people who wanted to know that. Now, transfer this to politics. I don't think there's a great leap. Nope. The intellect, the collective intellect of black folk, that's what I'm trying to get at, which the black misleadership class attempts to trivialize. Right. Or we could just sell them political fear. We could just tell them that if you don't vote, all your rights are going to be taken away. We could just inundate the atmosphere with all of these uh, messages. Well, that's, what they, that's the way they think they can use black people and have used us for 40 years. And now we've had it up to here. We don't want to be used anymore. You know, it's like, come what may, we're still not going with Biden. And that is a growing consensus. But what do they aspire to? And this is where we have to come into the picture. The aspiration is for a new democracy. That is what they're talking about. Now people say, well, how do you get there? Well, it is not on one group of people to decide that there will be people throughout the country in cities like this and other places who will discuss and debate how this moves forward happens in every revolution. Don't look at the documentaries. They're not accurate. You know, the storming of the Bastille, the storming of, well, they didn't do that much storming. You know, there was more going on. Okay, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm talking. This is, um, we're in our final days, so we're gonna discuss what our details are. Um, um, I just want to say one thing, and then Alice can expand on it. You know, one of the things about this year, Baldwin, that differentiates it from the year of Du Bois, is that um, we have attempted to build a uh, unity of important institutions, churches, museums, libraries, and so on, mosques. Uh, unfortunately, we have not been able to break through in any trade union, not one union. And that says more about them than about us. Uh, 
We can talk more about that. The social democrats, the so-called communists, so-called left, have the unions on lockdown. There ain't no debate. There ain't no discussion of anything. It's a top-down uh, hierarchy. Uh, but that ain't working because working, working people and members of the unions ain't into that no more. They want freedom of discussion, freedom of thinking. Um, but we've built with many institutions, and Alice and I had the opportunity to meet with the pastor of the church that I grew up in. And uh, I was never more proud of my church, even though I haven't been for decades. <laughs> I have to say, I left the church, but the church didn't leave me. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's a very nice building, but once you're inside, you can see the modesty mm. of it. The preacher's office was uh, very modest. I mean, not even as elegant as this room, I would say. Mm. And he was very modest, and his secretary also. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. He literally not only agreed, but spoke as though he was speaking to the year Baldwin. He said things before we could say them. For example, uh, and Alice had laid the groundwork. I mean, really, Alice, I got to give it all up to you. Um, she had gone and then uh, asked for a meeting with the pastor. He called her to confirm the meeting. And so then she called me, asked me would I go with her. I said, of course. And. Uh, I knew him because he preached my mother's funeral. And I knew him as an intellectual. All preachers are not intellectuals, he is one. He agreed to the year Baldwin, a great idea. This is what we need, and this was his reasoning. Because we have to begin with children producing intellectuals, his word, who will anchor our neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, my mind is then going to everything, you know, including a literacy campaign. That's what he was talking about. Mm -hmm. A campaign to bring forward the potential intellectuals among our children. <laughs> And, uh, but we can talk more. But this growing, coming together around Baldwin, but Baldwin is the occasion mm -hmm. for greater conversation about the politics of crisis, the politics of change. I'll stop here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, 
I feel like I always lean towards more logistical things. Actually, I can yeah. talk. I, I'm just worried about getting emotional. That's why. Oh. <laughs> That's one thing I, I learned about Chinese. Y'all are very emotional. I never knew this. <laughs> um. Oh man, I thought. <laughs> okay, uh, so it. I'm very emotional because when Doc and I had, or Tony, Doc had <laughs> had gone to um, Zion Baptist Church together. Actually, there were a series of events that had come before that gave me a lot of. It was. It. Uh, it essentially showed us how rights, essentially, the free school has been in anchoring ourselves in King, in Baldwin, in Du Bois. You know, these concepts of we are one people um, connected in a single garment of destiny. And it's through these experiences that they're real. So. Actually, last year I had gone with Eddie to the centennial of uh, Reverend Leon Sullivan at Zion Baptist. And when we had gone there, we had had some of, uh, known some of this history that Reverend Sullivan had had uh, in the city of Philadelphia at Zion Baptist and the impact that he had had um, and, you know, we had studied this history where he had led and organized 400 ministers in Philadelphia to, to not shop where they couldn't work at, black people in America or black people in Philadelphia. And that's not an easy task. 400 ministers is not an easy task. And every week, these ministers would talk to their congregation and to tell them, don't buy where you can't work. Um, and so we had studied this history amongst, uh, with Reverend Sullivan and also Cecil B. Moore in desegregating Philadelphia. And when we had gone, we had seen really how alive this history and the, the legacy of Reverend Sullivan had been. Um, we had met individuals who had been in that congregation since they were children, but similar to, to, um, Tony. <laughs> And been in there for 60, 70, 80 years. Well, don't put me in that category. But anyway. <laughs> uh, you're in the 40 years, yeah. right? <laughs> You've been there for so long. Yeah. And some had left the church due to you know, reasons of leaving the church, moving away, so on and so forth. But we had met this one woman who had specifically come back to celebrate Reverend Sullivan. And she talked about the kind of man he was, how he was, he, I think he was like six feet three. No, five. Oh, oh six feet five. <laughs> six feet five, but he was such a gentle, gentle man. And this was the same that, so this was at the centennial. And so a couple of weeks ago, I'd gone again um, because we were celebrating the year of Baldwin. And we thought, you know, we discussed how how we would have, should at least try and have a conversation, talk about the year of Baldwin. And that was, 
I had gone on my own and I got into church and you know it's never I, I never know what to expect when I go into uh, a room full of black people right and I, I want to be respectful modest all of that so I'm sitting in my corner but as um, service is going on um, there's a lot of singing as well in the Baptist church and so everyone's uh, singing and standing up and uh, a black woman comes up next to me and she holds my hand and we're swaying and and actually that ended up being the administrator that spoke with um, Doc and Pastor Roman and she had remembered Doc from when they were children, when Doc was older, slightly older in the church choir, <laughs> um, sang in the church choir. Um, but later on, um, after service, we had a small reception. And actually other individuals had approached me. I, I was going to call Emily, I was going to call Serafina. But then these people interrupted me and came, or not interrupted, but came, approached me and said, hey, like, why are you here? How did you, like, is this your first time at the church? And I said, no, actually, I, I came here last year for the centennial. And I mentioned this because every time I mentioned the fact that, you know, we had studied me on Sullivan, Reverend Sullivan, people... It was really significant and important to them. It meant it carried a weight. Um, and I, I think they must have been surprised why this uh, young Chinese woman is in at Zion Baptist, why she knows Leon Sullivan or Pastor Sullivan. Um, and it was similar to the centennial where um, actually Brenda, who also knows uh, Tony, Brenda was saying how, you know, the reason why I came up to you is because growing up in this church, Reverend Sullivan always made it a point for us children to go to the other churches, the other mosques, the other temples. And the idea is that he wanted to instill that we are all the same. Actually, when you talk and um, are in communion with one another, you learn that you're all the same, regardless of race and color. And that's why I came up to you. Mm. Um, but I mentioned this because Zion Baptist is significant in that when you walk in, there's this history that's still preserved, you know, modest but still preserved, of Reverend Sullivan and what he's done um, at the church and in Philadelphia. Um, and it's also carried in the people that are in that congregation too, the way that they had welcomed me and the way that Pastor Roman and Amanda, as we were talking, as um, Tony and I were talking um, about the year of Baldwin, you know, it wasn't just Pastor Roman too, it was Amanda who was sitting there and listening to us. And as we were talking about a single garment of destiny, about America and the poverty that's in the neighborhood of Zion Baptist, you know, she's looking at us and she was listening and she was participating too. Um, and I don't take it lightly, uh, the fact that Pastor Roman and mm, 
And Amanda looked at me as if I was their children too. Yeah. But what what, um, what Alice is saying is absolutely accurate. I, I didn't know it was emotionally uh, impactful on you, uh, but that was that she she described the spirit. I wasn't with her when she went to to service, but definitely in our meeting with Amanda and uh, uh, the pastor, Reverend Roman. It was just like that. I mean, it was so impactful upon us that when we left out, we couldn't, we didn't uh, talk. We were just speechless, you know. Uh, you know, it was just, but I, I, to, for me, it represented uh, all of what you describe, Alice, represented that level of consciousness there was no default to whiteness. Yeah. It was a default to the tradition of the Black Freedom Movement. Amen. And that's what Zion became under the leadership of Reverend Leon Sullivan. Right. I think that's what you saw, a default to that. Uh, kind of this is this is the way we practice Christianity. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, that's what Alice was saying is also like, Alice and what you were saying, Doc, is something I only realized over the past week as I got really stressed about this documentary compilation. And I just like completely immersed myself into Baldwin's it's different reading Baldwin and then watching him and all these videos, something I realized. And like, it's, it was funny because hearing Doc talk and then Alice talk and even going to the concert last night, like I was doing sociology, okay? You I was were? just partying, I was doing sociology. No, you were doing all stuff. No. But it, it is, it's this thing where I think for a long time, and I think people misunderstand Baldwin like this, People think that Baldwin is somehow exceptional, than like separate than black people, exceptional, special. When actually, it, I thought the same thing. I really felt this when you were talking, Doc, where it's not that Baldwin is special and that he's separate from black people, but that it's he's special because he actually exemplifies and represents something very ordinary in black people. It's a black tradition. It's, and it's why Baldwin always makes it a point to say, he makes a point to say, See, there was a curse. There was, like he even calls, he says, there was a curse in America. Slavery is a curse. And why can't you see that you white people cannot save me, save anyone, save the world, but it's actually, we can save you. <laughs> and we have, we've had it this whole time. Right, right, and, right, right. 
And it's this thing of like, actually you hear it in Howard Hewitt too. I feel like, again, people always want to trivialize black music, mm-hmm. black thinkers, mm-hmm. black thought, mm-hmm. that it's mm-hmm. not revolutionary, that mm-hmm. the best it can be mm-hmm. is like radical mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. like, oh wow, very smart, very mm-hmm. sharp, mm-hmm. but it cannot be revolutionary. Mm-hmm. And actually it was so interesting because Howard Hewitt humble he's not at a big stadium like a pop star he's not small like small venue because it's almost like he's a secret he's a secret that no one wants to recognize and people are okay with that right because like all right if you don't want to be saved then like if you don't want to be saved and like the like the honorable minister louis farrakhan says the great Armar- the armageddon is gonna come and you're gonna fall down with it you know what i mean it's that thing of like Hey, like Howard Hewitt, the music, he explained it. He said, you know, I was in at the end of my third marriage and when I was writing a song, and it's the song Enough, he talks about it where he says, he's like, there's a line where he says, are we gonna be honest? Are we gonna be committed, still stay committed to honesty enough to realize nothing is enough? And enough is enough, like, let's end this. Like, we gotta move on. And you know, that's that's the loving thing to do. And I think a lot of people would trivialize it and be like, oh, it's just a personal thing. Relationships, divorce, personal. No, but in some ways it's Baldwin. It's Baldwin, that's what Baldwin's saying. Mm-hmm. Hey, when only you can know yourself, face yourself, be committed to honesty enough to make the hard decision, which is the right decision, which is the loving decision, which is to separate. It's Baldwin saying is that's the secret actually to revolution that's a secret to something political mm. and mm-hmm. and it's exactly that white people do not know how to face themselves mm-hmm. they do not have to face mm-hmm. know themselves that they try so hard to create inventions of the n-word inventions of we must save the world mm-hmm. and and so i don't know i guess this thing of and i also it was really moving hearing you guys talk about zion baptist church because like howard hewitt baldwin they're both artists and intellectuals. They're, they have something, they both speak from something very ordinary, yet it's almost like, it's almost a secret that black people, we've decided like, white people, you don't deserve it yet. You don't deserve it until you're ready to say you're worthy of it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like that sort of thing. And, and so, yeah, and so like, but Baldwin and, Howard Hewitt and all, so many, you could name so many people, ordinary people in that, artists, intellectuals, and that Pastor Roman was like, he was like, we need, like our task is to produce intellectuals. Like our task is to produce intellectuals who can help anchor this neighborhood. And like, I don't know, and it's, and I feel like that's, and I also just wanted to bring up, like put us in the mix of just like, I don't know how to say it because it's actually really, because like, yeah, we're being live streamed, but like, I just feel like the vibe right now, us talking to each other is like, I'm talking to you like my cadre. I'm talking to you like my, I don't even like saying comrades because people in my union flip that word around and it's like so watered down. But it's like, we like, I don't know how else to say it, but it's like, we're revolutionaries. I don't want to be an activist. I don't want to be an organizer. Like we're revolutionaries here. And I really see it in the sense of, like with the people of Philadelphia read James Baldwin, like what Doc was saying last week about it being a literacy campaign, like like I'm a revolutionary. I want to be a revolutionary. And what I mean by that is like the way SCLC, CORE, SNCC, 
all these young people, nameless, will never be written, their names will never be in the history books. Children will not know their names, but they will forever be known in the work they did going into the South, the literacy campaigns, which are not just about reading and writing, but about like bringing people, yeah. bringing people into this movement of like preparing ourselves to take power by changing the way we see ourselves and are with each other. And yeah, and I just, and like, I really appreciate <coughs> this, that we get to spend this free school preparing ourselves for this new year, this year of James Baldwin, because yeah, there's a vacuum. Like, there's a, like, we, we've talked about a crisis of legitimacy for a long time, but there's, there's a vacuum. And like you said, Doc, the question is no longer whether there's a crisis or how deep the crisis is. There's a deep crisis. The question is what's next. And whether we can face it or not, I know some of us may feel scared. Like, I feel scared all the time. Like, I feel like every day I make peace with God. Like, every day in my life, since I moved to Philly, like, well, actually, it was for my last breakup, but it's really where I, when I actually became free. But that's another story. Is, is, yeah, I made peace with God of like my role in this lifetime, which is like I'm a revolutionary. Like I want to be a revolutionary, and and like whether other people underestimate us or maybe deliberately want to underestimate us because we're so dangerous because of what we do and who we speak of and the tradition we put ourselves in, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like we are going to play a huge role in getting people to think about what's next. Mm -hmm. And there's something very important about us talking about Baldwin the way we're talking about him in this moment because, yeah, like, like I said, this documentary that I've been putting together, like, Baldwin has it all right, and there's something so important that Baldwin speaks, and this is something Jeremiah told me, he was like, you need to make it clear, like be explicit in some ways in the way you're putting it together, that Baldwin, we're not talking about Baldwin just, just the writer, we're talking about Baldwin the voice of the civil rights movement, <laughs> Baldwin the witness yeah. for the civil rights movement, which means the witness for revolution, yeah. the witness for the future, yeah. a prophet, and he even says it, he says, he makes it clear, he says, he talks, he goes from the heart, and then he speaks, connects it to basically the future of the American people, yeah. where he says, yeah. how can it be, he's, he puts on the people, he's like, we are sovereign people who have not consented to war. He says it just like that, it's in the documentary. He says, now get, now get that straight in your mind, where it's like, Black people have had, black people are the only people who have known who they are in America. Right, right, right. And the real question is whether white people will let black people teach them and save them for you to face yourself. And when I say white, okay, I'm not just about white skin. White at this point is a value system, it's an ideology that we've, all children in some ways have to contend with, have been raised with. I was raised with it. I was raised to be white in this country because my parents were not prepared for what America really was. You know, my parents are very much the American dream. My kid's gonna go to an Ivy League college and then she'll make money and have lots of babies and who'll care, maybe like whatever, whatever. And she'll get a Lexus and then maybe a Mercedes and then she'll like whatever. But what they didn't realize was how much I would be lost or depressed or like wanna kill myself basically, whether literally or spiritually, whatever. And I feel like that's all what a lot of us have faced. That's why there's a mental health crisis. It's not just a mental health crisis. It's a, we have a society that's in crisis. Of course the children are going to be the direct reflection of that. Many different ways. 
And yeah, so I just feel like, I don't know, it's time we also, I feel like it's time we also understand that we're revolutionaries here. Mm-hmm. And, and like you said, Doc, it's like, when will people realize that this is America, which means that a, a resolution for America to finally mature and become complete, for America to be free, that what it requires is not socialism by socialist theorists, but an American resolution, a resolution for an American democracy, a new democracy in this country requires an American thinker, an American theorist, American theory, which means Baldwin. American theory is black theory. It doesn't mean it's just for black people. But if you're so offended by being a black theorist, then you need to ask why. And that's the real question. And what makes you so taken aback that American theory is black theory? Because it doesn't bother me. I'm like, yeah, let's go. Black, yeah, and like American music is black music, to be straight up. Um, and so, yeah, I just agree with what you were saying, Doc, about, <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's deep, it's deep that Zion Baptist, it's just, it's, yeah. it's it just, it goes in the mix, like, mm-hmm. it's not hard at all. Mm-hmm. And it's really one of the most prestigious churches in, in all of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Maybe the most prestigious Baptist church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess I also just want to say, because something I've been worried about is I was like, you know, the Free Library, the Central Branch Free Library, that's where our inauguration is. And I just, this is me talking on a more meta level, but, you know, it's very important that we remember our responsibility to the real, to the revolutionary involvement, because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even having our inauguration at the Central Branch of the Free Library, it's almost a little prestigious, right? Mm-hmm. We get a lot of press requests that we never would have gotten if it was just free school, organizing at some church, right? Mm-hmm. But it's because it's the Free Library, Public Institution, Black History Month. There's a lot of prestige in some ways, a little unspoken prestige mm-hmm. associated mm-hmm. with our inaugural event. Mm-hmm. But no matter where we are, whether it's the Free Library, a small church, like a whatever venue, we gotta we gotta carry what we've always carried. Right. Which is the revolutionary imperative, the moral imperative, which in who we are. Do not forget who we are. Which is, we are revolutionaries who see ourselves in the black radical tradition. And that's, we're responsible to that James Baldwin. And for us not to get it twisted. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, and so I just wanted to say that because it's something I was thinking about. Where it's like, we might get 200 people in the next week, 300. You know, it might be overflowing. Maybe only 100 people come. It doesn't matter how many people really come. The most important thing for us to be successful is for us to be able to talk the way we're talking to each other right now. That James Baldwin, that first of all, to, to that James Baldwin is a theorist of revolution because he was a theorist of the civil rights movement, a witness of and for the civil rights movement for the future. And which means to say that that was even a revolution. The way people trivialize Martin Luther King Jr., the way people trivialize the civil rights movement, like that Baldwin did the op- was always doing the opposite, which is to sanctify, almost sanctify the civil rights movement. And it was almost like, and that's what we're saying. It's like, let us pick up, let us pick up from that revolutionary task for this moment today. And, and that would be what's successful because that's also the documentary. Like you could have made any kind of documentary about Baldwin. Many documentaries have been attempted, many do different things. 
But for us, like what we're trying to say, whether it's in our declaration, our vision statement, our documentary, the conversation that will happen with like Doc and Nuri, moderated by Alice, and have Michael Muhammad and all these people on it. And then even in cultural performances, it's not just just cultural performances. What we're trying to say is we're trying to say like, this is the revolutionary Baldwin who is, who is exactly, he's saying exactly what many black people have said for hundreds of years mm -hmm. in America, which is, are you ready to be free yet? <laughs> and, and at this point, you can't say that. You can't say, are you ready to be free yet? You have to say, we have to be free now or start or we're dead. Like in Baldwin, in like the end of the documentary, sorry, spoiler alert, yeah. the end of the documentary is, it's Baldwin basically saying in 1986 or something like that, where he's basically saying at this point, and I've said it so many times, but I'll say it differently this time. At this point, to achieve America, to achieve a new nation is a matter of life and death. And that's the 80s. Mm -hmm. And so I guess I just wanted to say that because, yeah, because it's not just the inauguration. We're preparing for a whole year. Mm -hmm. And even with like the, the reading groups of the people of Philadelphia regions Baldwin, don't bend, like, yes, you have lots of different people coming to these reading groups, but there's one thing we won't bend on, which is so important. There's one thing to make, not just not bend on, but try to say, keep saying in many different ways, which Baldwin was always doing with all these different interviewers, which is like, this is who, this is who free school is. This is like what we mean by James Baldwin. And this is what we think the people like require. And theory is not just like, I feel like people also think theory or ideology is just like you said an external like an external dogma to place but actually theory comes from in you and how you're even into how you're processing the world around you or reacting to the world around you and then what you do with that yeah <laughs> what you do yep. with it and then how mm -hmm. you change how you start changing it and that's what we're doing with these reading groups um because like, yeah, something like Doc, you were mentioning last night and you said it again in your opening remarks, which I really agree with. And I think it's important that we know this Baldwin, which is Baldwin as a theorist is like to examine the interior life. You know how there's like a left thing that's like, oh, the personal is political. It, it reduces a little bit and like, eh, okay, yeah, kind of. But it's Baldwin, what he's saying is that when you can examine your interior life like that and how you react to society for real, for real, like how you, how you re how you deal with that interior life has huge ramifications for basically the political how you go about how you and yes. Yes. yeah and it's also why like in the yes. documentary like it was really important that we're trying to figure out how to capture the right thing of Baldwin basically saying that the difficult thing to do but it is the revolutionary thing is to love <laughs> and because Baldwin could have taken the easy way out with his life, which is not to not say anything at all, to not write, not say anything, to just be like, fuck all y'all. Like, fuck all y'all, I hope this world burns. I hope this country burns. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, but that's not, that's not Baldwin, it's also not how he was raised. It's not the tradition he comes from. And he even says in the, uh, so many spoilers, but he says like in a clip in the documentary where he says, I grew up in Harlem and it looks the same as it did 20 something years ago. It's just the same. It hasn't changed or anything. The same kinds of people live there. He's like, we, but in Harlem where I grew up, if a girl, if a teenage girl got pregnant, she wasn't outcast. It was the opposite. We, the whole community took care of that child. Yes. And we took care of her too. Mm 
And she was like, I will not trade being black for anything in the whole world. Because that, those are the standards, this, this, those are the standards that I want this country to be based on, not white standards. And it's just, yeah, so there's a lot in there. And I just kind of wanted to say that. And yeah, and also like how important I think it is for us to view like this literacy campaign that our reading groups is part of a literacy campaign. And we don't mean literacy as in like, oh, people need to learn how to read and write. No, <laughs> we mean literacy as in like, like we as, how do you prepare people already in movement to take power? Like whatever that means, gain confidence, to examine the right values, to relate to each other in a new way, because all we got is each other. Mm. And, and also how to see yourself. And literacy is much deeper than just reading and writing. And, and yeah, and I think it's really important that we feel a sense of responsibility to that James Baldwin, to the revolution of James Baldwin. And yeah, and it's also me just giving all of you in this room and myself, like just the self-awareness of we're doing something really important no matter what people say. Right. <laughs> and we're doing, and it is in any backlash, hypothetical backlash, any backlash we've gotten in the past or moving on forward is because we're doing something very dangerous, which is the revolutionary thing, which is the thing that can actually free this country. <laughs> and I really believe in that. Yeah. I think just to, even what you were saying earlier about reading and writing, like one of the locations that we'll be at for the reading groups are is at um, South Philly High and West Philly High. And one of the problems is that actually children nowadays aren't always taught reading, writing, um, and it speaks to a crisis, the level of crisis in our society. Um, and then I think that is one dimension that will that will have to be uh, in, uh, addressed in the different reading groups. But I also agree, which is, you know, we've talked a lot about you know, what exactly even is the purpose of these different reading groups. How do you approach? Like, what is the pedagogy of teaching? Um, are we teaching, or is it, or what is teaching? And um, how do we as free school also approach whoever comes to the different reading groups, whether it be young, those who are younger, those who are older, and it is like what we mean through Baldwin as well is, you know, how do you also empower people to, or, you know, because one of the facilitators for the high schools is, is Brandon Doe, and he works in Mm -hmm. in the South Philadelphia high school system. And so he, he encounters um, high school students every day and he hears stories or he hears accounts from his students where they tell him, actually I was just in the library and the librarian just told me that I won't amount to anything. And, <laughs> the librarian. <laughs> yeah, the librarian told this kid that they won't amount to anything. And what like what does that happen to children in our society that are being told that they won't amount to anything? It's the reason for what we see in our society where you know students do, and this is something that Brandon says, which is the students do lash out. They're angry and they're pessimistic about the world and they don't see a sky for themselves, which is what they can envision to and how they can be part of this democracy of, of America. And um, mm -hmm. <coughs> I forget. 
but these reading groups will be at different um, institutions throughout the city, and I do think as we've even been reaching out to different institutions, talking about you know what we're envisioning, what we hope to do, how we hope to partner, there has been um, a very apparent uh, gap that this doesn't exist. No one else is doing this. No one, first of all, teaching reading and writing, and then also talking about Baldwin. He's not taught in schools. Baldwin, King, I mean, forget Du Bois, they're not taught in schools. And what happens to society, or one, this is the society that you see as a result of that, but what is a different kind of society when you can hear um, their words and see the examples of these figures and the kinds of people that they come from are also the same as the kinds of people that we are all coming from as well. <laughs> Um, and I know, um, I, I guess in just a moment we'll talk about the, the structure yeah. of uh, the inauguration and then also um, uh, the different reading groups and the rest of the year as well. So. Can, I just, can I just add to what you guys are saying? I think as you guys were talking, I was reminded of like one of Baldwin's speeches called The Free and the Brave, mm -hmm. where um, Baldwin starts by saying, he quotes from Nietzsche, um, thus spoke there, Zarathustra, where it goes, the Reverend Roman yeah. quoted from, uh, thus spoke, oh, oh, we were meeting with him. Yeah, 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 but it, it's probably the same quote. It's like the one where, I stand so, before the yeah, yeah, I stand before my highest mountain and before my longest journey. And therefore, must I descend deeper than ever before I have descended? And I feel like that's kind of like us right now, where it's like, yeah, we stand before our highest mountain. Right, 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 right. Um, right, right. But I, I just wanted to like, please, please. Oh no, no, just well, well, just in the sense that like, yeah, like we're at the start. Yeah, the new year of Baldwin, but um, we're going headlong and unafraid into the basically like the depth of the crisis mm. and we're not running away from anything but we're running towards it mm. and um and i feel like it's like it's just really beautiful and i'm very excited on many different levels but partially because it's like baldwin in this time is like a lightning rod for everything that we've already been talking about, um, but a lightning rod for the people to come together. Right. And I see what we are doing um, with the literacy campaign, like that, fr that framing of it, but it's like part of what we are trying to accomplish is to unleash a democratic process amongst mm -hmm. the people of Philadelphia through reading and talking about Baldwin. Um, in the sense that if part of what Baldwin Part of what Baldwin speaks to is the crisis of American empire mm -hmm. and what becomes of a people, like what journey must they go through to navigate that, that place from being an empire that has basically hitherto like um, not existed in that way in almost human history. And then how do you navigate that process from being an empire to a new country, like a new nation? Yeah. 
and Baldwin speaks to that. But part of what Baldwin, like what bringing Baldwin to people does is he puts that question directly in, in your face. And it becomes a question that you have to deal with, yeah. where yeah. it's so clear that we're living through a crisis of American society, but also a crisis of essentially American empire. And how will it be resolved? And that can only be resolved by the people actually taking this question up on their on their term and saying, "We will we will figure this out. We will discuss this, and we will work out this question." And um, and I think also in that sense, it's like, yeah, part of what I think is really powerful about what you guys have been saying is that simultaneously we're trying to find the revolutionary kernel of Baldwin and keep that in our hearts, but also find the revolutionary kernel of what we're actually doing mm -hmm. on a political level. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, it's like even bringing up Baldwin, like it bringing up Baldwin, but also like I was just saying, like bringing up people like Reverend Leon Sullivan, mm -hmm. it's like also we are trying to tap into what is the people's revolutionary memory and consciousness. Because it's like, especially at a point of crisis, it's like a people's memory of like a past revolutionary period becomes kind of um, a resource uh -huh. for the people to engage in a new a new period of revolutionary struggle. And I, I think the last last few things that I was thinking about were um, I was thinking about two of Baldwin's books of essays. The first one was No Name in the Street, or no, the first one being Nobody Knows My Name, and then the later one being No Name in the Street. And I was thinking about why he chose those titles, and this is just like me conjecturing a little bit, but part of it is that when Baldwin says nobody knows my name, he's saying America does not yet know me. Right? It thinks it knows me, but it doesn't actually know me. And he's talking about himself as like a black man. But the other part of like when he says later no name in the street, that's him saying you may not know me, but I am everyone. I am, I am the ordinary person. I am the anonymous person, the person who is not named, who is not known, but I'm everyone and I live inside everyone. And that's part of what I think you guys were saying about even you know going to the concert last night, where like Baldwin maybe yeah. part of the task is can people recognize Baldwin, but the other task is that can they recognize Baldwin inside themselves, mm. right? you know, <laughs> where he already lives and where yes. the civil rights movement has already implanted something yes. or planted something deep in people's consciousness, which has yet to be fully expressed because like our generation, I think especially. We are children both of the, of the Third American Revolution, but also children of the Counter Revolution. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So we have we. It's all. It's also our task to figure those things out. Yeah. And um, and the last thing I want to say was, in a lot of ways, I was trying to think of um, how you conceptualize part of what we are trying to achieve, which is the building of a movement which is organized around figures who are no longer with us. Mm. Right? Because mm -hmm. that is a very unique and particular kind of revolutionary task. Mm -hmm. And actually the, the best analog I could find was the building of the early church. Um, mm -hmm. Like basically in the midst of the Roman Empire in which like literally the, the church was organized around, you know, the Christ figure. But Christ wasn't actually there anymore. No. But it's like, how do you organize and build him? And ultimately Christianity was part of what took down the Roman Empire from within too. And um, I guess that's that's arguable, but um, <laughs> you know, like the building of something in the midst of an empire in crisis, but also a movement which is organized in its central principles around 
figures who are not here anymore, but they are still essentially like king. Like we don't like basically like our conception of things is that the king is still the leader of the American people. Yeah, right. Bolton is still a leader and a figure and a voice of the American people. And like in some ways, that's part of the uniqueness of the historic moment that we find ourselves in. But the task that we're trying to take up. And um, and yeah, like when I was talking with Emily like yesterday about the documentary that she's working on, it made me think about how, you know, like I don't think it's a heretical thing to say to compare, for instance, King to Christ, yeah. and then to say that someone like Baldwin is almost like John the Baptist, a witness <laughs> to yeah, the coming of like a kind of new of, of a of a new savior figure yeah. Um, yeah. and how like the relationship that they have. Because I know that was also a question that came up um, in the interview yesterday with um, Alice and Serafina. But, but yeah, I just feel like part of the, the question is that, you know, the left doesn't see this and doesn't see the immense possibilities that there are in this moment right. and also wouldn't see something like what we are doing mm -hmm. as quote unquote organizing the working class yeah but <laughs> what we are doing is like quote unquote, organizing the working class but it's a way that totally is way outside of the imaginary right. um, who like is the, we don't like, even, we're not even yeah. in that we're not yeah. even in that that's what the how the free school operated from the gate yeah, right. and i think that i've always I, I always go back to free school for me because it's something where in my mind i know what it is like in my mind and heart i know that the free school is a revolutionary situation um, that is what interests me, interested me in coming. That's what probably what pulled any of us or all of us. But the only reason why I said that is because Emily, you already hit it. The fact that we have been in this time or up to this point doing a lot to say the least. And the thing that's emotional about it is the fact that there, despite what I would assume is all the good things that either come from the W.B. Du Bois, Gandhi, from the first time that we celebrated Baldwin mm -hmm. in 2017, mm -hmm. um, which was also when I came to free school, which I'm so proud about <laughs> because even though Doc would be like, oh, you came to free school with Du Bois World in Africa in your hand, Baldwin mm -hmm. is something that I was obsessed with in a way. Like, it was just something that you, okay, you, there's all these novels to read. Mm -hmm. There's all these things to listen to on, on YouTube. And uh, <laughs> I... Even though I hang out with a lot of people, I do have a lot of time to myself. And uh, I would be I would be like at PAFA, I tell this to other people too, just listening to Baldwin's moral responsibility of the artist. Like this is what this is who I am. This is who I am. And uh, which what that means is that, you know, I made a certain uh <laughs> I made a certain uh uh I told myself something that I didn't fully understand at the time of a certain commitment uh, to myself that I keep because that's who, um, that's just who I am and who I'm in the sense blessed to be. Um, because, and I say it like that because 
you know, I don't really explain myself to other people. Uh, I don't, ex I don't, I don't feel the need to uh, ex show that free school has been something in my life mm -hmm. forever, or what feels like forever, but has been for a long time, my touchstone. And I'm saying that to say that with the church, there's my, I tend to think hypothetically a lot, and I tend to imagine a lot too. Like I tend to assess maybe what could happen and what couldn't happen. And because what we're talking about, the possibilities both of backlash, the possibilities of things that we hadn't thought of come up in our way would come up. But with the church, that also presents a new level for me to think about what could be possibly done within my home. And uh, like, it's just so funny. So he was asked, Baldwin was asked in an interview, uh, I forget what interview this was at this point, I'm sorry. But the fact that, yeah, he was asked, like, who are you? He was asked, like, who are you? And he said, well, I want to be an honest writer. Um, and beyond that, right. something about praying for rain. And <laughs> that's what's repeating in my mind. Um, and with everything, I agree with what, Emily said in the sense of that I am speaking to everybody that honestly I don't really know all that well and I'm getting to know <laughs> everybody here <laughs> um, that I will defend the free school because I love the free school and the free school can be carried if probably I wasn't here but I'm here to carry it because there's really nothing else I want to do. There's nothing else that I really think that I can do or to limit myself in a certain way. But that's to say that I love every single one of you that's in this room, in a sense. I think that we've also gone through specific transitions, the question of the left is also what we think about. We come from different places mm -hmm. as that, in that regard. Mm -hmm. What is a revolutionary? What does it mean to think um, or to know that, like what, who is Lenin? How do I relate to Lenin? All the, like the questions that we come in, the baggage that we come in with, that's what I'm referring to as the journey that we've all taken to be at this moment in time and commencing the year of Baldwin. And I'm only saying that because this is also something that comes out of the, me and Shantanu have been working on the podcast. And we were talking about what, like we were, it was so funny. Um, we, meaning me, Shantanu, Perva, Crystal Neha, it feels like others, but it really wasn't. 
Um, we're working for since December, by the way, because I guess we got nervous, or maybe we just felt like there we there was time that we needed to use to prepare for the podcast, and we are going to after the inauguration event on the 18th do our first episode where we uh also discuss the vision statement in particular Mm -hmm. and so like (laughs) we had read through it and then uh we figured out what were the key points of this Mm -hmm. of the vision statement and um then we went through a mock trial like a mock uh, I didn't mean to say trial, but yes, yeah, a rehearsal. That's what I was thinking. It was like theater. If anybody was in theater, this is what this was. And I always wanted to be in theater because the only thing that really made me jealous about theater kids, which is my brother, he was in theater, right? So the thing that made me jealous was that you know, for some reason, they are so weird in the sense of like, in the sense of like. You have to know, in a sense, what this character that you're presenting, and then, and then re- be able to understand the people that you're presenting to, and that is a complex uh, uh, endeavor of your own spiritual will. And when you speak on that, when you speak in front of people, it kind of seems like you know offhanded, but it's. It's specific. So the thing is, is that when we were when we were um, practicing, I immediately got nervous because, as you guys all know, and I say this even though you don't believe it, I don't really speak well, and I've been working on that for a minute. And so I was thinking, honestly, Shantanu can just leave because uh, because he speaks so well in terms of how he thinks about how he thinks and how to uh, address a uh, point like he gets to it in a certain way that's um, direct understandable and poetic and I think that's very nice and so I I was like let him leave it'll be fine so we went through it a couple of times and then we were like oh what do we say we started writing it down like we never did it before it's right here in my notebook and but the thing is is that you know I was kind of in a place where (laughs) <laughs> like we had made the structure already mm. um, we had already done the portion where we uh, have the points to say so then it comes to a thing of well how do we speak directly and honestly honestly in terms of the of the feeling of being real with the problem that we're trying to so basically what I'm trying to say is that ultimately free school is something that all of us in the sense who have been a part of free school because I know there's people who haven't been in free school in this room and that's okay because I think what we are doing in the year of Baldwin is something that we have endeavored to achieve and those who are also joining free school for the first time kind of have to observe that in a sense and so it hits both the 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 general point that we're making we are create this is the framework of the people 
This is the framework of America. Mm-hmm. And we operate, I operate in that mode. I operate in the eternal. I operate in the prophetic. I operate in the historical. I operate in my generational like history, personal history, family. Mm-hmm. I operate in Philly. This is this is what I mean. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to quote unquote ideas, it's not simply just what we and you had also mentioned, just um and like you uh, work on paper, like it's on paper or the a, the, uh, a theoretical position that denies basically historical fact or the processes of history of like the world. Um, and you know, this is also something that we've learned through reading another country. Me and Blaze and Samir, who's been a part of it, and other people, we've been reading another country where and the. I, this, I didn't know I was going to say this point, but remember what Eric, Uh-oh. Eric is the, a character in another country that is from Alabama, white. So the story is about a man, Rufus, who is a black musician. Da, 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 da. Check out the um, uh, Instagram post, honestly, that Jeremiah worked on. Um, yeah, well, the point being is that Eric has is gay. Um, and is trying to explain being white to a French man who he loves, who he loves. And, but he's doing it in his head. Um. He's saying, what do I have to envy of the romance of the white world? Mm. What do I have to compare myself <laughs> to be if I am not that? <laughs> if I don't exist there? So I have to make a whole other standard. Yeah, I have right. to make a whole other standard. Um, and that is also what we are connecting to mm-hmm. that has been brought to the table because America has arrived <laughs> at a certain place mm-hmm. and is going to a certain place. Yeah. I think that James Baldwin is like my father because, <laughs> because I get so confused. I'm like, if you don't like, I feel exactly. I feel you exactly, Doc. I feel you exactly. If you don't see this, then what do you see? What do you see? And if you do see this, what will you do? Mm. And that's what's emotional about it because I feel like there's been times where inaction, you know, proved to be a value. Inaction proved to be something that, well, since you're doing something, I could push you aside because I'm making my way, I'm making my life, I'm making money, I'm getting approval from this white world that still exists. But what if it doesn't? (laughs) What if it doesn't anymore? So where do you go? But... That's also so specific. This is also a thing while we go through the documentary and the beauty of it is me also realizing that I've looked at all of this before, which I didn't really give respect to, to a certain extent. But the fact that Baldwin, if you watch, if you read, and if you listen, 
And then if you watch, read, listen, black people, insert, you know, all of them, then you see, like, the body language, the face, mm. what they're trying to say, the rhythm, all of that. All of that is, I'd say, what I think I've been aspiring for and what we are to aspire for. Because the other thing to what you're saying, Jeremiah, in terms of where we descend, we're descending. We haven't descended and we're not, we haven't landed, you know, because there's still after this year what will follow mm -hmm. what will be produced from this year right. that's in my mind always it's always next step so same thing goes with this year too long term and short term um, i'd like to say something um i feel like i've been given too much praise I wasn't telling you that because you're so smart. I'm just telling you. <laughs> I, I know that. I I'm giving you props. You know, take it. No, 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 no. I say it to Nuri all the time. I'd be like, Nuri, you're so smart. Like, the way, because insights, insights. That's the word that Doc was using. And that's also, that's the other, that's the last, I'm sorry. No, go on. <laughs> no, no, seriously, that's the last thing to consider. The possibilities, the insights of the Merck and Meyer of Philadelphia, of the hood, of, you know what I'm saying, the poor, of the intellectual, of everybody, the p possibilities that could happen. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> um, I, I just wanted to begin by saying that the way that I speak, I think that um, I have gotten to this by two major reasons. One being my academic training, which I am deeply trying to fight. <laughs> it's got to be okay. Drop the load. <laughs> no, I, I'm I'm being serious. I think that my academic training has has severely restricted. Uh, my freedom mm -hmm. and you co you couldn't find two op two more opposite people than the two people hosting this podcast what oh. <laughs> that is so not true <laughs> in, in, in terms of this particular thing i am constantly trying to be more free and i look at seraphina and yeah. she's so she's so free wow. yeah and um, I'm, I'm trying to learn that, I'm trying to be uh, a more free person, not be uh, restricted and bound by what academia has told me, you know, my scientific training severely um, uh, holds me back from living this life, mm -hmm. living free school, living my these ideas, because they always say, what is the end result and is it useful? Well, I don't know, but I'm doing it anyway. Mm. You know, Baldwin says that you have to be an optimist because you are alive. Mm. <laughs> if you're alive, you're an optimist, right? I can't be pessimistic because I'm alive. I, I, I remember that. And... Um, 
that's why that's why you know I'm I'm also trying to learn a lot from my colleagues, uh, and I hope to do better. And I feel like this uh, the free school has given me purpose. And you know I was also uh, I wanted to say something about what you know Jeremiah brought up uh, the free and the brave uh, uh, thing with Baldwin. And here and there, Baldwin says that America is a country that has believed the myths that it has created about itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the only way uh, for America to get anywhere is to face that. The crime isn't the problem, it's the denial of the crime. <laughs> <laughs> which constitutes the whole crime you know? so so he, he i i was thinking about what he says in uh, with uh, regards to you know neha and i started reading souls of black folk and souls of black folk written in 1903 and we read the first chapter where du bois introduces the concept of double consciousness Right, constantly being, and you know, he writes it in the way that you know, black people are always looking at themselves through white eyes, and this was a concept that took me a long time to really understand because I can't imagine it, I can't envision it. Mm-hmm. Always looking at yourself through somebody else's eyes, being conscious of yourself, but also somebody else's consciousness of you, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know. I think that Baldwin, being part of the next generation, growing up during the Great Depression, and looking at both the interactions of white and black people, I think he he sort of extended that double consciousness, and he said that white people are also also have a double consciousness. <laughs> White people also have this double consciousness. They are thinking about themselves, but at the back of their mind, they're always thinking, what do the black people think about me? They're looking at themselves through their eyes. And this is, I think, the, the beauty and the power of Baldwin, where he, and you know, Sean Barto said this last week, that he's, the, he's a mirror to society. He makes you look at yourself. <coughs> And by looking at yourself, you're also looking at everybody else. Because that's the kind of thing that he wanted to establish, that you have to love one another as part of something. Not, um, it can be anything. It can be any kind of love which brings you together. It has to be towards something. It can't be <laughs> static. And um, I feel... I feel I felt it when you said that Baldwin is your father. I have. Been, um, <laughs> it's because you know when I read Baldwin, I was like, I, I wish my father had said these things to me. <laughs> um, that's a confession for a different day. <laughs> um, but I think that what we are doing is important. And, you know, Baldwin also said that rarely people uh, commit to the things that they know to be true. Mm. Mm. Because 
right. to commit to commit is to be in danger right? yes yes, yes. <laughs> and I, but i think that we have committed yes anyway he wrote this to his nephew his uh, young nephew what he meant is that i don't want you to be one of these people who don't commit even if it means that you are in danger because that's the only way forward and i think that we have all committed and but we'll face whatever comes you know like i said we don't know the future but we still we still fight for it mm-hmm. okay we'll okay we'll talk man it's <laughs> over all right bye I was thinking about the um, year of uh, Du Bois because Serafina was talking about how they made the structure of the podcast and formulated it and actually a lot of the uh, conferences and you know even our live stream on Saturday it's very formulaic so anybody can you know help out or hop in but the structure of the year of Baldwin has already been set by the year of Du Bois and I'm just going to repeat what you said Doc but you know, it really had profound consequences. Mm. And I, at the time, I didn't really think, well, at the time, I think Year of Du Bois was 2018, which was five years ago. <laughs> six, 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 oh, six, oh, no. <laughs> Don't say that. And uh, I was a much different, a much younger man. <laughs> and you know, those, who, those who remember me know I'm, my personality was different, my politics was different, you know, who I was as a man was different. And um, uh, the year of Du Bois, uh, it was really just like, okay, let's go around the city and read Du Bois. Whereas the year of Baldwin was just like, all right, let's do the same thing, but for Baldwin, but also with all the, with all, with a, which a, with a much stronger ideological line, with a much stronger, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna tell people this is what they need. And, um, but also all the changes that happened during the year of Du Bois, because the preschool, the preschool has iterations and it looks different from what it used to look. And, um, but also all those advantages of everything we learned about Du Bois and the importance of ideas and a program for the people, a program to educate the people. And we, we gained that. And we also you know, had the year of Gandhi. And uh, we gained all, you know, through the year of Gandhi, we learned that, you know, actually King had a revolutionary anti-colonial purpose. And so now we're moving forward with, uh, with that advantage. But it's not just, uh, you know, an ideological change in the people in Philadelphia, which, you know, you Doc had pointed out, like, you know, we wouldn't be, you know, we wouldn't have 200 people who RSVPing for the Free Library event if we didn't have the Year of Du Bois. Uh, I think we had the inauguration at the same uh, same venue. And um, it's not just the change that we made on, on the people themselves, but also the change that happens inside of preschool. I, our, you know, we're not static. Okay. We, ch- we change over time. And not just us as a collective, as a cadre, as Evan said, but uh, me as an individual, I've changed. I've changed a lot uh, as an individual. I've changed uh, as an individual who uh, is no longer a student at Temple, but someone who's uh, responsible, you know, twenty four seven for you know my work systems. You know, I'm uh, I've become a young man, and um, you know now I'll be instead of just participating in the 
you know, facilitating a reading group and all the responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't be it wouldn't be possible mm-hmm. for me to get to that without a free school. And it's nothing, you know, it's like what Shantanu said, it's nothing to do the academy didn't help me, preparatory school didn't help me become a man. Yeah. Who has you back, man? <laughs> I wanted to um I wanted this conversation is making me think about the quote where Baldwin talks about the artist and the revolutionary and how he says they share a common task. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, maybe he said the role of the artist is the same as the role of the lover or the role yes. of the revolutionary. But what what he says is mm-hmm. that um, mm-hmm. the task in both instances is to reveal the beloved to himself, mm-hmm. and with that realization, to make freedom real. Yeah. And I think I see that as the task of our literacy campaign or our reading groups mm-hmm. um, this year, like as fulfilling that purpose. Because back to what you had mentioned with the concert doc and like why it was so beautiful, it was because. Howard Hewitt, like James Baldwin, demanded so much of his people, reflected so much in them, he expressed them, and he had complete faith in them. Um, yeah. God damn it. That's <laughs> okay. Um, like, that really changed me to witness it. Um, he was asking a lot of those people and they were answering and it moved me so much because for a moment I felt that I was there in the third American revolution and the truth is we are because that is the third American revolution and it's here. Um, but you know in the essay The Dangerous Road before Martin Luther King Jr. Baldwin has this interesting passage where he talks about, he assesses King and he said his gift is not so much in his oratory, like his oratorical gifts, like he, and then, and then he goes pretty far with it, which is pretty funny. He's like, really, it's not that remarkable. (laughs) But then he finishes by saying like, no, his gift lies in the intimate knowledge he has of his people Um, and how he suffers with them. Yeah. And um, and then the last thing I wanted to say from Baldwin is like in that interview meeting the men, this interviewer asked him, "It seems like you're writing writing for white people mm-hmm. oftentimes because that's yeah. who that's who reads like what you write." And he says, "No, I'm writing for people. I'm writing for people. Period, baby." He drops the baby in there. <laughs> but then I think in the same documentary he also says, "For that matter, I don't really believe in white people." Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think that's very very important. He says, "I don't really believe in white Americans." You know, white. So this thing, like, I say all of this to say that, well, I wanted to return to a formulation that we had been making at the start of preschool about achieving this freedom in the private life as reflective Mm. of the American revolutionary process or the way you formulated it as, like, almost a secret that unlocks the revolutionary process Mm. or revolution. Like, I think that's, I see that as the, what will be generated or contributed? Could you say that again. I, 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 I don't quite understand it. Did you just? Oh, well, well. Um, to reveal the beloved to himself, mm-hmm. and with that realization, to make freedom real. What does that look like in the concrete? And and I'll use myself as a concrete example. And Baldwin said this too in an interview. He said, "I never thought of being a revolutionary after yeah. all. When I was born, I didn't want to. I didn't. I didn't have that in my vocabulary. Mm. 
Um, but what I did know was that I had a commitment to morals mm. and honesty. Mm. And similar to what Shantanu has said, like with a dose of faith and clarity, like that has led me here. And I don't know if I will call myself a revolutionary now, but I'm engaged in revolutionary practice, revolutionary ideals. Mm -hmm. I have a revolutionary commitment. So yeah, maybe I am a revolutionary. <laughs> I want my life you know, to actually transform the society in an uncompromised way. And so I guess that's a revolutionary process. Mm. Um, and I, I just think, I don't know, I just liked that formulation very much. And I guess I'm saying that like, the revolutionary process also, it does have to, a lot to do with the private life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's significant because it means it's something that all people can access. Mm. Yes. Um, right. Yeah, and... Um, but I think it's also a way for us to talk about what the revolutionary process in America will look like mm. and how much the Third American Revolution, which was a, a transformation of the inner life and also of the outer life and the yeah. way that Americans were relating to one another. Mm -hmm. That is our blueprint. Um, <coughs> but I, 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 I'm looking forward to continuing to talk about what our engagement and our practice mm -hmm. looks like for the year of Baldwin, especially because I agree completely that the commitment we're shouldering is serious and mm -hmm. I don't think we should be daunted, but mm -hmm. I think it's, I think it's going to be very important and significant and like I think we will learn a lot and I think we're capable, like we're capable of maybe more than we've ever been capable of and yeah. certainly more than I have ever believed, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, what you said about the behold it, uh, uh, love it is, yeah. it also reminds me of another country where, because I, I started from the beginning again. Cause like I tried to keep up with Safe News Reading Group, but I couldn't, so I had to start from the beginning. Yeah. But yeah, where even Rufus, so like the main character at the beginning is Rufus, this black man, and the whole novel begins with basically Rufus Baldwin saying, like, please take like it starts in the perspective of Rufus, like this is a black man in Manhattan, but he's going uptown, or like it's like something. It's basically like let please like get to know Rufus and essentially the plot in the beginning is mm. Rufus falls in love with this white woman from the south Leona who's kind of like basically a cracker a poor white woman who left her abusive marriage and she's like I'm never going back and they meet at a jazz club in Harlem where Rufus is playing in the village and oh are you sure I thought it was downtown. Oh, maybe it is. Yeah. But basically, but basically, he was like, he was like, "What are you?" Because it's most people there. It's mainly black. There's also some white people. And Rufus just, Baldwin described it as like, in that space and time with that music. It's not the time. That's what I'm <laughs> I wasn't sure actually, but I was just assuming. But like, Baldwin makes the point that it's like it's black and white people together, who in that space and time, there's the, it's almost like he's saying there's race, but in some ways there's no race. Because of that, because they're all like in some ways engaging in the music, which is in some ways an uh, like a intimate interrogation of yourself. Like they're all the human thing, that basic human thing that's so difficult for people to do. They all are able to do it, and thus in some ways race doesn't exist at that moment in time. Of jazz, of listening to jazz, the way you have that dialectic with the people performing, and 
Leona, this like white woman from the South, he asks, Baldwin asks her, what are you doing here? And she says, well, I just, I'm in Manhattan. I arrived in New York City because I don't ever want to go back to the South. And I decided people were talking about Harlem and I decided to come check it out. And I stayed because I heard the music. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that carries some weight too. But Rufus takes her t- with him to a party. And in some ways, it's Rufus being like, do I let you in on a secret? Like, it's this thing of like, do I let you in or not? Because the easy thing to do is like, mm, no, like, see you later. See you later, white woman, whatever. But he takes that risk. It's like a leap of, it's a risk and a leap of faith where Rufus is like, and even throughout him taking it to this party, he's asking himself, do I treat you like a person? Because do you treat me like a person? which is requires a new society you to become in some ways act like a the new human being in a new society which is that's that doesn't yet exist or does he stay within the confines of the existing society and treat her like a white woman she treats him like a black man and that's it end of story and instead it becomes they fall in love because essentially they both take a chance on each other of let us try to be the new man the new woman in a society, as if it's the society doesn't yet exist. Yet yeah, here yeah, we yeah, are. Yeah, we face. Yeah, yeah, we collide yeah. with the boundaries of a, a society that still exists, which is a white society, a society where we're not supposed to fall in love. But yet, it is when they fall in love, and in some ways can be people in a new society that they can just be them, people, humans, falling in love. That it's not a right, black right, man right, and a right, white right, woman, right, but instead. Right. Leona doesn't have to be the cracker from the South, the white cracker from the South. She's a woman. Right. And Rufus doesn't have to be the, the, right. the angry, yeah, the black man who is like this and that. He can be a man right. who falls yeah. in love. Right. Yeah. And yeah, so I feel like that's how I related the con like like it is, it's the connection between like for ex- it's I, that's what that's the part I love in the vision statement, this thing of like mm-hmm. Baldwin, his novels, it's not fiction, and it's not fiction, and... Can we say not fantasy, fantasy. not make-believe? Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry to be to interrupt yeah. you, yeah. And, it's and, and that's what turns right. people off from yeah. fiction. Yeah. Right, and it's like him basically saying, when you can face the interior life, like it is the personal, like, to reveal the beloved to yourself, yes, that, yes, that's yes, how you yes, make yes. freedom real. But it's, and it's exactly those people who take that leap of faith. And like Rufus and Leona who take that leap of faith that are also the most punished by society. They, they, that, I love that word, they collide with the mm. confines of American society as yes. it is. Yes. You're punished, you're punished the most for whether you want to call it being a revolutionary, taking a leap of faith. It is the people who, it is the people who have the courage or the people who cannot help but take the leap of faith, who basically cannot help to be a person in a society that does not yet exist mm. and is in the society that is, that is the most punished by that society. Mm. Uh-huh. Mm. Well, I, could, I, could I add briefly? Well I, okay. I, well, I also just wanted to say that when I read Another Country, I felt like Rufus was a martyr mm-hmm. in some ways, mm-hmm. which was so, like, yeah. Like, he was heroic for going as far as he went, which went beyond society at that time. And I think what the novel also proves is that his death was not in vain. Like, right? Like, there was something lasting after that in the lives of those who loved him. Um, but also, I wanted to say that I think Baldwin has such an unprecedented 
like revolutionary vocabulary or new mm-hmm. revolutionary language mm-hmm. because the way you're talking about Rufus and Leona or let's say Ida and Vivaldo or mm-hmm. Vivaldo and Rufus, the private, the social relationship and how if you can break something or unlock something there, you can break um, mm-hmm. you can break the stasis of like a broken society. You know, you can, you can shift the terms. Mm-hmm. There's that, but then also like the quote that Serafina had brought up that I had also thought about before where in an interview or in an essay, he's, no, it's in an essay, he, I think a foreword maybe to one of his novels, he says, I want to be an honest man and a good writer. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's code for saying like, well, where would that lead me? Like, mm-hmm. that's led me to becoming a revolutionary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he says it in all sorts of ways. Yes. Like, yes. like, I want to be a brother. Like, yeah. I want to be a friend. Like, mm-hmm. it's so... But he's talking about the same thing. And that's what I'm saying when I say that this is something, why he achieves a universal, because it can be access, it's something that can be accessed by yes, anyone, yes. everyone. Wait, can I say something? Yes. Because it's, so, it's, really, it's related to this, is, you know, this question of the universal and the question of the man. Well, one of the things when, when we started thinking about the podcast, you know, we were looking at a lot of podcasts that exist or even like, you know, what people choose to focus on Baldwin for or how they want to represent Baldwin. And it felt off to me because it se- seemed like there was an attempt to freeze him in time in mm-hmm. some ways <laughs> where, you know, you take what he has said about black and white or, you know, you know, just the the, the history of atrocity and oppression mm-hmm. uh, in this country. But it's taken out of context in a way where you almost want to say that the civil rights movement did not happen. Right. And, you know, the country did not change. And, you know, the third American revolution did not have a lasting impression on how human be on, on social relationships in this country. And we just know that to not be true, you know, but it's almost like by trying to freeze him at a time which does not exist anymore because the civil rights movement did happen. You, it's it's another, it's just another attack on that entire tradition mm-hmm. and what came out of it and what could still be possible today because of it. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I'm even saying this is because when Emily and what Michelle, you were also saying about Baldwin's focus on the human being, I mean, that could really be a touchstone for everybody, you know. And this is why when he says that I don't believe in race, I don't believe in white people, I don't believe for that matter in black people either. I think that's what he's trying to say is I believe in the human being. And for the same reason, you know, yesterday, like the concert is still on my mind, but this is the same reason that the blues and the blues is an inheritor of the sorrow songs. All of this can be touchstones for anybody who's trying to achieve their own humanity. Mm -hmm. But I feel like the attempt to freeze him in time attacks that, you know, that striving to become complete as human beings Mm -hmm. or even the striving to become a new human being that has moved like, you know, as history has moved forward. So I just wanted to add that because I completely agree Mm -hmm. with what you Mm -hmm. were saying. Go ahead, Charlie. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned uh, Reverend Leon Sullivan. Yes. Reverend Leon Sullivan from Zion Baptist Church. And, and I think that uh, the professor and I can, 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 can look at OIC and Zion Baptist mm-hmm. Church from a very unique perspective, just given 
um, the number of years that we've lived. And I think one of the things, my father knew Brother Leon Sullivan, mm -hmm. uh, and you know Bill Gray, Congressman Bill Gray. Speak up just remember Congressman Bill Gray? Mm -hmm. And I know you remember uh, Charlie Bowser? Yes. Okay, these were very personal friends of my father, which mm -hmm. caucus with my father. They would come to your house, my father would discuss them. One of the things I think we have to be careful is as we walk among King, Leon Sullivan, Baldwin, um, these individuals are not paper clippings to us from newspapers or magazines because we were alive during this, this time. And as we walk among these giants, we must remember they were mortal. And it's very important to remember that. They had failings. Um, and, and I say that because in order to understand these men, you have to understand the black church. <laughs> Baldwin is a repository of thousands of servants that have been given throughout <laughs> our, our time here. And he brings together an aquatic collective work <laughs> that we all can ascribe to because it addresses our humanity. And that's what Christianity addresses the New Testament, that we are one people of one God. The Europeans were very adept at confiscating Christ from the Bible. Mm -hmm. They practice what I call imperial Christianity, mm -hmm. which is not Christianity at all. Mm -hmm. um, that's why the black church is so different from the white church. As you know, my brother, being in the black church, that was the only place that we could go to be free. The black church is the only place that we could go to to be free. It was the only place that we could attend and we didn't have to be fixed. The only place that we could go when we went out of virus. Because I think America, has always seen people that are not white mm. as people that need to be fixed. Mm. You're a project and there's something wrong with you and you don't realize it. Mm. And as white people, we, we were purposed to fix you. Doesn't matter if you're Chinese or Indian, doesn't matter where you come from. If you're not white, you have to be fixed. Mm. And, uh, and that's why I, I go back to, I say that the white man has a God complex. And I think that's why everything around the society, what does it represent? It, it represents that he is God. And that's the great conflict that we're facing right now. You're talking about, you talk about America, the third revolution, you're talking about the collapse of the Anglo-American global power structure, mm -hmm. which includes, as you well know, just not the United States, but England, mm -hmm. Australia, mm -hmm. New Zealand, mm -hmm. all those English-speaking countries, mm -hmm. and your dominance for 500 years. Mm -hmm. That's what's at stake here. And I love Baldwin because Baldwin makes me reflect on all of our humanity. Mm -hmm. And that's what's the purpose of the black churches. That's the reason that woman grabbed you by your hand and she started to swing back and forth. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I can say, and you know this, I know why you stopped going to church. Mm. Because I stopped going to church. Mm. Um, because the church today is not the church of Leon Sullivan. Mm. Unfortunately, and I say this with great pain, um, we look, black people today look the same on the outside, but we're not the same people on the inside. You know that, we talk about it, and it hurts. The system was very adapt and taking our humanity from us. That's what you see with the rap, okay? How we talk, we never talked about ourselves in the terms that we talk about ourselves today, okay? Um, and the biggest threat to America and the white power structure was the Jesus Christ that Martin Luther mm. King talked about, that Bible and Baldwin talked about. That's interesting. Okay. Because that was the same Christ that worked down the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. And they know that Christ will bring down this empire. Mm. And that's what that's you know, and, you know I'm, I'm here because when I see everybody in this room, as you all know, those here are scientists, they did do the genetic study and they found out that all of us come from two human beings, mm -hmm. a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. And that makes us now have to search ourselves. Mm -hmm. Who are these first who, who are these first people mm -hmm. that gave birth to all humanity mm -hmm. and that we and that we spread around the world developing different languages, different cultures, different practices. But we but we are one. And I don't think there's anything that frightens the white power structure more than that message. Mm -hmm. It's a terrifying message to the ruling elite. Yeah. Because if they fail at otherizing us, the, the empire collapses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If they fail at otherizing us, the empire collapses. And that was the message of Christ. It was a singular message. There's one humanity, there's one people. And my message is, one was to love God because God expressed who he was and the character and the formula that we could understand the human beings and that you to love one another as you love yourself. So that addresses everything that, rep that, that represents, you know, how would I wake you Mm -hmm. When I want somebody to break my door, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how would I beat you if I don't want somebody to beat my mother? Mm -hmm. How would I molest a child when I would want my child molested? Mm -hmm. So, those brief economy words that Christ spoke to all humanity is really, you think about it, um, it changes the way that you look at your life, mm -hmm. the retrospect that you have to take. And it made me change because I mean I virulently uh, I hate white people and it wasn't until I got I read the Bible for myself and I read the pages and I said oh my god these words are the words that I need to heal and so that's what you hear Baldwin saying he's echoing the scriptures he's echoing the message that came out of the black church which really had our ears somewhere. I know because we were conflicted, you know, my brother, we were conflicted between Martin Luther King and Malcolm. Mm. Young people, you know, we were with Malcolm, we were with 
the Black Panthers. Let's fuck them up. That's what it was. I mean, I'm not getting smacked no more. I'm not turning the other cheek. I know Jesus says that, love that neighbor as thyself. I'm not loving nobody no more. Love is over. Okay? And that was the message, right? And as a young person, you understood, right? You understood the message, right? And so that became a great spectrum, a great divide in our community. And it wasn't until I gave a second read a king that I understood that King touched the touchstone in me that was different from Malcolm. It really wasn't either or, it was both. It wasn't one or the other, it was both. And so I'm here right here because I'm here because this is the human family. I mean, represent every every hue, every complexion, and various ethnic groups. But we're one. You know, if, you know, if we cut, if you cut, don't we bleed? Mm -hmm. right. We all cry at death. We all rejoice at birth. How much different are we than the other? We like different spices. Really, you really think about it. Okay? Some of us like love. Some of us love. Some, some of us love it nice and spicy and hot. Yeah. Okay. Some of us love God, I can't take it. You know what I mean? We're not putting it. We're not. We're not. And that was. That's the reason why I'm here. Because I never felt. It's, my wife would tell you when I was in college, all my friends were, were either they were Chinese. They'll tell you in the library. Or they were Africans, or they were Arabs. Wow. And I just had this natural gravitational pull yes. because I realized we all had a common humanity. I didn't know where mm. that came from. And I was, you know, I call him the professor. That's what he, that's, to me, that's what he is. There's glasses in the hair. <laughs> I love it from the Because when I first saw him, the first time I saw him with the, with the hair and glasses, I thought about Einstein. I know! I said, I said, I said, yeah. Could you be Frederick Douglass? Yeah. <laughs> As they say in the hood, you all that plus a bag of chips. Okay. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't know what that means. <laughs> you know what that means, right? Yeah. But no. Um, so um, he's one of the few. He's one of the very few men that, uh, that I've grown to respect because he has integrity and he doesn't change with the wind, and that's hard to find. And you, you, you being under Leon Sullivan. You were truly a monkey. He was a giant because the um, the anti part of the anti apartheid movement started with Leon Sullivan. Mm. He was the first one. No. Not the really. I would say the first one. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> he was the one. It's kind of where we yeah. we had a political yeah. division for the first time. Right. And um, but we we could so talk more talk about that. that. I won't go into that. But, anyway, but let's see. Maybe you, we got comments or something. Right. And I'm looking forward to the, this yeah. kind of ball. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 I'm going to comment real quick. Um, just piggyback, there's much we can say because we've lived much longer than those of you. Our children are older than those of you, probably. But to piggyback on what you said about being in university, 
For me, I think the reason I embrace other cultures is because I live the experience that Baldwin's talking about. Mm -hmm. And if I had to keep staying in my mindset in that, I would question my own humanity, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, I had to kind of, quote, leave the hood alone, get out of that, and see a bigger worldview mm -hmm. than what we're just fed coming up. I mean, we thought we were middle class, right? My dad was a police officer, my mother worked. Um, mm -hmm. We thought we were middle class until we saw the real middle class mm -hmm. did. Mm -hmm. You know, what they did on the weekends. And, you know, the church was a center point, like my husband said, of, you know, our life. But for us, you guys are reading about Baldwin. And for me in high school, Baldwin was required reading. I was kind of like on the tail end of, you know, the 60s and what Baldwin's talking about. I was more late 70s. But I could still remember sitting around the kitchen table with my mom hearing all these stories. So I lived with Baldwin's talking about maybe on the tail end of it before kind of, you know, affirmative action, all that stuff took hold. Mm -hmm. But going to university for me was an eye opener because if you stay stuck in that mindset, you start to feel like you're a victim. Mm -hmm. You start to question your intellect, mm -hmm. your abilities, your uniqueness. Mm -hmm. I never want to be pigeonholed in a little box, mm -hmm. but coming up in this kind of environment, you're told this is your place. Mm -hmm. No matter how brilliant you are, you may only be a cashier or this or that, let alone a physicist. So for me, I just wanted to say go to university. I had to kind of let that part of me go for a long time. And I feel like I'm just coming back to it. And mm -hmm. um, another note, like I mentioned, our children's probably older than most of you. They don't want to embrace this. Mm -hmm. Because for us living this, we're tired of hearing it. But the revolution hasn't gone anywhere, right? We just tried to be a little bit more mainstream into it because we told this was something, oh yeah, you, you can reach for that. <laughs> and then you're, I don't want to call it the glass ceiling, only to reach for it, no, you're overqualified or whatever. So it's kind of unique to me at this stage in my life that my children your age are not trying to relive the ball in years mm -hmm. and whatnot. And I'm struggling with as a parent how to get them more involved in that because that younger generation is like, you know, that's, you know, that's for the 55 and older, you know, mm -hmm. we're, we're not into that anymore. Mm -hmm. I think they don't realize they can't, they can't handle the struggle that we find ourselves still in. Mm -hmm. So as a parent, I'm, I'm trying to think about how to get my children more kind of involved. In, in a Skype group right now, I, I think that the black community is trapped <laughs> in hyper-materialism, materialism without a meaning. Mm -hmm. And we, at one point, materialism had a meaning for black people, and it was to help other black folks. Yeah. But that now, that's not, that's not, now, this is something totally different. Um, uh, a friend of mine, you know, we all know the story about Frankenstein, and a lot of my friends that think like me say that the system was very adept after the civil rights movement, starting with the Great Society and creating a black Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. Okay? And because what you see right now, there was a time in Philadelphia, you knew this, that you didn't have to lock your door. 
You remember in South Philadelphia, my mother's generation? Well, you might not remember my mother's generation. I was generation. in North Philly, so I'm not. My mother grew up in South Philadelphia, South Philadelphia. Okay. So, and my mother just died, she was 93. Okay, during, when they were alive, people did lock their doors. I mean, and that's a pretty much story that you heard. And the level of respect, the violence that you see, mm-hmm. the, this, everything that you see right now. So there, there, there was a deliberate attempt to re-socialize us away from what we, what we were. Uh, and it was done, it started with the schools. And I will say, and I never mentioned it to the group here, but I got laid off from the bank when the banks collapsed in 2007. And I worked in the school district five years as a school teacher. And I taught um, elementary school, middle school, and high school. And I taught, I had kindergarten for about three months. And I was ready to jump out for a window. <laughs> I had a chance to 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 be right. in the city mm. and I started realizing how much mm. our community had changed from the basic value set mm. that I work in the school district. Mm-hmm. And so what you're talking about, just mm-hmm. this, this reawakening, this renaissance, I think the time for it is now. Mm-hmm. And I look at this as, I told this is the final revolution. There will be no more, whatever you mm-hmm. This is an interesting point. This will be the final that revolution. Is, yeah. We should come back Sorry. to that, Joe. That's a, no, we want to, I want, but let's see if we have some commentary. That's an interesting question I just put on the table. Mm-hmm. Emily, Emily, could we then just go to laying out the straw? Yeah. Okay, many people said good morning. Todd, um, Christopher Romero, BK, Amiri. Um, oh, shoot, I just left the sandwich. Sorry. Give me one second. <laughs> They're using it as another weapon against him. And he brings up the point, how old is too old to be president? As both Trump or Biden would be the oldest occupant of the Oval Office ever by the end of their term. And then Veronica Ingram says, good morning from Greensboro, North Carolina. And Don just wants to flag that the 2024 DMC convention is in Chicago, August 19th to the 22nd. Um, And then, are feeling very appreciative of the emotion that was shown talking today. Um, VA from New York said, thank you, Alice. And then Virginia said, we're hearing and feeling a lot of emotion today. I can't help but think it bodes well for the year of Baldwin. Wow. Um, Chris Romero says, you all display such beautiful humanity, even through a live stream. 
Um, Daniel Gutierrez says, respect to free school and the path that you all are taking. It's a much needed voice in the American left. Um, someone named Amrita says, thank you, Serafina, for sharing. It was so deeply moving and heartfelt. I share your obsession with Baldwin, but somehow seeing Baldwin from your eyes made me really reconsider aspects of myself. Mm. I listened to most of the sessions after I got to know about this, but I'm truly excited for this year, and I hope I can come and meet everyone in person. Mm. Baldwin is the only orienting force I know. Mm. And then Amiri said, in one of his final interviews, Baldwin said, I've got a date with the 21st century. He trusted the people to bring him, King, wow. and the revolution to the mountaintop, even if he didn't live to see this. Yeah. And then... Michelle. Yeah, I know. I was just thinking. And then... Okay, and then let's see. There's one other comment from Jacob Carpenter that says that he doesn't... Okay, I don't have the bandwidth to join reading groups frequently right now, but I want to read along. And so he's requesting us to post the reading list for Year of Baldwin on a website. Um, and I think, yeah, that's a good idea. And then Amiri, one more comment. The free school is much more than a classroom. They honor the proletariat and value you want. I organize too, but bringing ideas to people is what creates sustainable, widespread, revolutionary action. And then those were the positive comments. We also have some negative comments. And so, I mean, I think we're ready to, you know, talk about it, but. <laughs> So there's one comment, or there's a set of comments by somebody named Dog, Doge, 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 it's an internet meme. Okay, so this guy says, the brain rot is incredible, I wonder how Roland Fryer would react to watching this. I wonder how Roland Fryer would react to watching this, but I don't know who that is. Um, this neo-Marxist racism is only pushing white and black Americans to vote for more conservative candidates. Literally half the people I see on screen are colonizers. The oh, irony, colonizers. No, um, the irony is unfathomable. And then we also have the usual set of comments from DJ L, um, <laughs> who's saying that as an activist, I'm sorry to tell you that the revolution is beyond the classroom. Um, he says, I've referred you to wrongfully convicted individuals who could use your help, and I am also working with elected state leaders from the Greens and People's Party who have been pushed aside by gatekeepers shaping the narrative of this group. Um, you're in an echo chamber, he doesn't like rage against the war machine. As a Korean American, it is disappointing not to hear from this community or to get support. Is there a link? link? And then, yeah, I think he just reiterates that again but i think well i think it's just that we the whole point of today is saying that we're taking a stand like there's a place that we have to be and there are things that we have to do and i think it's best for us to just be clear about what we think is important and why and i don't think that everybody will be on board like that was never the expectation mm -hmm. but i think that it means something for instance that there are new people in the comments today who are saying that this actually means something and it reminds me of something that i think was in maybe last year's vision statement for the 10th anniversary that we believe like the best of the people will come forward mm -hmm. and i think that there's yeah there's something new that's happening and i mean we were already talking about how basically we're trying to figure out a new language or a new framework. We're just saying like revolutionary activists or the left, like we're not interested 
and playing by the terms that other people have set. Yep. We're saying that actually we have to set new terms. Yes. We have to set a new agenda. Like, and it's not just us out of like a sense of arrogance or just only being here and coming here and being an echo chamber. I think the whole point of the year of Baldwin, the whole point is that we're trying to go to the people. The whole point with the reading groups and this literacy campaign is that actually we want to know what the people are thinking and we want to be with the people. And yeah, I just think that, I think we're being as clear as we can on this. Um, and yeah, but, yeah. and then I think just one last thing is that I also have just been feeling really emotional <laughs> about everything and I feel like the conversation went pretty much everywhere that it needed to go. Um, but it's that I think a lot of what we're doing is basically taking a leap of faith. Mm -hmm. And even if it's scary in a way, as it always is, I think that there are so many other people who have taken leaps of faith, like in their lives. And the least that we can do is actually try. Right. And yeah. I know that together, and like with all of our planning, all of our thinking, all of the events that we've held over the last years, like that's as much preparation as we could have had. But the time really is now, like this year, 2024, yeah. the upcoming election, what's happening in Gaza. Like, there can't be yet an action or waiting around at this point. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I'm excited for everything that yeah. we're going to do. Well, just also to the negative comments, I feel like, yeah, I feel like especially the internet has socialized people to be really like nasty, <laughs> to be honest, and I feel like people should ask themselves why you feel the need to be so nasty, <laughs> like why you feel the need to be so like hateful, honestly, when like we're talking about like love and stuff. <laughs> and, yeah, and I also resent I resent the continued usage of identity politics and the weaponization of Korean identity. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna put that out there. We got two positive. Oh, yeah, we have two more positive comments. We have a greetings from James Harden, and then Ralph J. Monroe says, "Found you all late last year, and it's been interesting to hear the discussion. I appreciate the critical thought." And yeah, I think that, well, I really appreciate when there are a lot of comments, like also hearing from new people, because as I do really appreciate like the people who tune in week after week and tell us like what they're thinking, mm -hmm. because it feels like they are here with us. Like mm -hmm. Amiri, like they're familiar names, but then also I feel really curious about the other people who I know are watching, like the numbers where it's like, oh, 24 people are watching. And I feel like I wonder, yeah, what are those people thinking? And so mm -hmm. it means a lot to, I think, hear because if we're just getting like the critical comments, which are basically all of the same vein or the same flavor, mm -hmm. like even if it's I from different people, person. no, many no. are from the same person, <laughs> but even when it's different usernames, it's basically the same, <laughs> which are that they don't believe us because they're trapped in identity politics, mm -hmm. or they just have an obsession with a particular kind of left politics. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is that we're not going to suddenly change overnight and be like, oh, like, now we're into identity politics now. <laughs> we're like, oh, like now, like we're gonna be like regular leftists. Like, sorry, like we're wrong. Like ten years, like oops. Like it's not. Kind of and so yeah, I do. It's like I don't resent 
the negativity. Well, I do, but like I understand, I think, part of where it's coming from. But I think it's just that it's kind of a losing uphill battle because we are like, I still read them because I think people want to know and it's just good to be fair, I guess, about it. But in terms of like the time or the focus of what we're doing, like we read them, but we've addressed them. And I think we have a lot more to do. So yeah. Yeah. And then, okay, Amiri says, yes, there are ways to communicate with each other. And then someone named Rowan Fraser says, I'm thinking about discussing further the context of Baldwin's works. Oh yeah. Hmm. Which we'll do the year. But, oh yeah, and also, um, since we're shouting out our frequent commenters, we really appreciate Christopher Romero yeah. <laughs> and Virginia Cotts and VA from New York and of course Ta and Don Seth and Veronica. But um, well, Rome's last comment about discussing further the context of Baldwin's works. So might as well get into the architecture yes. of the year. Um, so next Saturday will be the official launch of the whole year of James Baldwin. So that's it. The whole the inauguration is kind of us declaring the start of the year of James Baldwin, and the title is um, Year of James Baldwin: God's Revolutionary Voice. Oh yeah, I forgot your phone. <laughs> but mind is And the inauguration of the year of Baldwin. The year of James Baldwin, God's Revolutionary Voice, is at the Central Branch of the Free Library um, in the Skyline Room from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. And we've we've talked about it in the past, but I just want to go through the program again, which is like this is really us declaring the year of James Baldwin, not just any James Baldwin celebration, but God's Revolutionary Voice. Why the voice for today? Like who is the revolutionary James Baldwin? Like we discussed today, um, and the inauguration. It's really the first part is us declaring the year of James Baldwin and officially dedicating the whole year to the immortal children yes. of Gaza. Okay. Yeah. Um, yes. That Baldwin is Baldwin, his voice mm-hmm. is speaking to exactly why it is that even though he passed away, that he, like decades after his like warning to America, but also offering the way out of the people of America facing her, itself. That how is it that we have a genocide in Gaza supported by the U.S.? What is the task of the American people? Right. Yeah. yeah, and actually, what is what is the suffering of the children of Gaza showing us of what we must become and grow out of? Um, and so we're going to dedicate the year of James Baldwin to the mortal children of Gaza, um, and then we'll read the vision statement. And the next big piece of the program is we want to show for everyone who doesn't know who James Baldwin is, we want people to actually see him, see him talking and what he says throughout the different decades of his life. And so um, we're compiling a documentary. It should be around 30 minutes. Um, and it'll be of him speaking to today, both a witness for the truth and also a prophet for the future, mm, yeah, like especially yeah. America's future. Yeah. Then This, this is hot. Okay. I just want to underline that a witness for, because um, you know uh, we've talked about. I know I talked about it with Emily. This concept of a witness for, and that's definitely out of the Christian Bible. Uh, a witness of is a passive passivity. A witness for is a person like uh, Paul. The disciple mm. or uh, other disciples, they were witnesses 
for on behalf of yeah. So I just wanted to underline and a prophet. Um, this this is um, if I could I don't want to it, this concept of prophecy is not in contradiction to the concept of scientific understanding of. Mm. Uh, and so I just... Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, because the, a lot of the documentary, like I said, um, like, so, so it's not done yet, but kind of the big question was, what do you show? Like, how do you, at first I was like, well, how do you encapsulate such a such a like giant of a man the way he thinks and all he said like he doesn't just talk about what's happening with slow rising but the genius of him understanding art philosophy like yeah. there's just so much to capture you know what about him his background where he came from like grew up from france all this anyways there's a lot you could talk about with baldwin but really what the documentary hopes to do is like really talk about him as a witness for the truth and like you said prophecy like the scientific understanding of how the american empire like the american empire the way america treats the world and has like waged wars how it actually comes from the fact that america has not been able to understand or take into account or deal with or face what it did to black people in america it's connected it's the very same the same basis the same contradiction, the same basis of why America will wage wars and ultimately decline until its death is because of what it will not face, what it did to black people in America. Yeah. And um, and so there's a lot of like, and then it's also he talks in the heat. So it's really trying to encapsulate that sign, that, that connection of the interior life. Like in some ways, the way out is the task of an individual's interior life, white and black, to what it then makes you want to do for your country. Like, and that's, so there's a lot in there, and that's. So, and Emily, you're going to, I know uh, the mission statement will be read, and then you will, you will speak to introduce the documentary. Yeah, I can give a brief introduction Good. to the documentary. Good, this is very important. Uh, I'm sorry. So, uh, have we decided who will read the mission statement? Yeah, we we would two like people, right? yeah we would like it to be split between two people, Serafina and Chantanu who left, which oh. also makes sense because they're both the podcast hosts. That so it'd be nice, be nice for them yeah. to yeah. speak. Yeah. Um, and then you, I'm sorry, I just you will introduce the documentary. And yeah, with a, a, a this kind of what you've done here and what we've done, contextualizing yeah. how we see. James Baldwin, yeah. mm -hmm. and I would just—you uh, have to say why we call him God's revolutionary okay. voice. And the question some people ask: Well, does God have a voice behind Jesus? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Muslims would say behind Muhammad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And right. why do we say? Why are we suggesting that God needs a revolutionary voice at this time, which is the same thing as a revolutionary prophet, a revolutionary prophecy for this time? But that, I just would suggest that. And of course, you know, as you put, you know, the interior, the in, what's inside you. You know, uh, there has to be a, a cleaning up 
on both ends, the world and you. Yeah, that's connected. Yeah, yeah. I'll put it back. Um, yeah, and then, and then we'll have, like, I can, and then so after people have seen Bald and the man speaking like that in the video, we really want the next part to be a conversation, a discussion, like, you know, an opening up of an official, a formal discussion, but also a way for the audience to also offer a discussion with the Q&A, which is we're calling it a conversation um, about Baldwin and um, him as a revolutionary, but also the revolutionary movements of this time, or basically the possibilities of this time, speaking to the crisis today. Um, and Alice will moderate that conversation, and the participants of the conversation will be um, Nathan Kleinman from Jewish Voice for Peace. Um, and actually, maybe you should talk about this part, Alice, and talk about what they were talking about. Yes, yeah, so we'll have Nate Kleinman, um, from member of Jewish Voice for Peace. He will speak about uh, Baldwin and the question of Zionism and also the activities of Jewish Voice for Peace. And I think many of us here are familiar with Jewish Voice for Peace in that they have been one of the forefront groups that are speaking against the crime that is happening in, in Gaza. Um, then we'll have Michael Mohammed. Uh, he is a member of Mosque Number 12, the Nation of Islam, Mosque Number 12, and uh, he'll uh, and we'll uh, actually to that point tomorrow. All of us will be at the October Gallery, where um, mm. Michael Mohammed, brother Michael Mohammed, also um, works at and has invited the Free School, specifically uh, Doc, to speak about the Year of Baldwin. Um, as part of that, we would like to invite him uh, to talk about uh, Baldwin's meeting with the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad and uh, Baldwin's relevance to the Nation of Islam today and Minister Louis Farrakhan. Uh, um, we'll also have Nuri, and maybe actually Nuri, do you want to talk briefly for a bit? Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, I think. Since the panel in general is about like basically revolution these times and then also the question of the future, I think where I'll fit in is sort of talking more about like students and youth in the future and so drawing on the experience with like Lotus, some of the challenges but also the possibilities um, and specifically I think how Baldwin is speaking to a young generation, like a young generation that actually has a pretty clear task that is becoming like clearer and clearer mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I think like in some ways this young generation is uniquely prepared but also has things that they need to learn and I think can get from Baldwin and so I think that's sort of where I fit in on the panel but mm -hmm. um, two additional panelists will also uh, we're also in conversation with Susan Albahawa, who is one of the figures of the Palestinian movement um, in Philadelphia, and I think I believe in the country as well. Um, a couple of uh, discussion topics will be around the connection between the Palestinian struggle and the struggle against American imperialism, connections between Baldwin and actually a uh, poet who was recently assassinated, mm -hmm. Rafat Al-Arir, um, who was a Palestinian poet, and um, connecting those two figures. And then lastly, uh, the impact that Baldwin has had on her life, as she has uh, mentioned to the free school in the past, the 
significance that Baldwin has for her. Mm. And lastly, we'll have Tony. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Tony, would you like to add? <laughs> uh, I, I just wanted to um, talk about one, maybe one part of the vision statement, mm -hmm. and that is um, the, co the concept Baldwin for this epoch. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about this prop, this moment as an epoch, mm -hmm. an epoch of transition. Mm -hmm. But that's that's what I'm trying to talk about, mm -hmm. and try to fit in where I can get in. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we also have question and answer, which I think yes. will be really interesting mm -hmm. and good. Like the people who come for that to be converse, like for it to be a conversation of what people have seen involving and. Um, that sort of thing. Um, and then we'll spend a few minutes highlighting the people of Philadelphia read James Baldwin. Um, and I think Michelle will do that. Uh, and we should think about, because I'm supposed to wear a mission statement, but I haven't yet. But, <laughs> but yeah, just highlighting like why it's so significant, how it's the anchor. It's the like real anchor of this whole year. Yeah. And why is it our anchor? Why are we oriented that way? Um, and also the influences on us when we say literacy campaign, it's because of it's because of yes the Chinese Revolution, the Cuban Revolution, but also in particular our own revolution, which is um, the way SCLC core SNCC like young people organized to go into the most dangerous parts of the South um, because it, it's that they were being they were revolutionary, whatever you want to call it, like you know young people who were trans ready to take on. Um, the risk to transform America um, in the heart of where the transformation would have to come from. And and we see ourselves in the same vein. Um, and like, yeah, so Michelle will, Michelle will take that point, which, I mean, it's really, that was a last minute addition to the program because we just think it's really important for people to know that this is based, like this is, like this whole year is really much based in our reading of James Baldwin, and also is why, like, it's been important for us to have the facilitator meetings we've had so far, or like have our next one this coming Tuesday, um, and how closely we'll be working together to like even share what the different reading groups are like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, will the will representatives of the different reading groups have a chance to say something? We want to time for. Um, in the program. Yeah, but we don't. I was just. Thinking, I will. Really, okay, think don't worry so. about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but she could. But Michelle will say where there will be reading groups. Oh sure. Yeah. yeah. Give people some and yeah. and explaining what we mean by a literacy campaign. Yeah. yeah. We read for literacy, but literacy is for knowledge. Right. Oh, that's a good. Just this is a side note. I'm sorry. If you're a facilitator, can you fill out this spreadsheet <laughs> with the WhatsApp group? Because I really, I would really like to make public the reading group sites pretty soon. Um, and also this is just another note. I know we're, the facilitators are meeting next Tuesday anyways, it's coming Tuesday, but if you would like to have, if you would like to have your own sign up form or flyer advertising your location, like we'll make space for those to be advertised at the launch, but just make sure that's ready for Saturday. Um, and, and just, will we, will we list the places where there will be readings. Yeah, we can list okay. them. Well, Michelle will list them. Yeah. 
Um, then we'll have a brief intermission before we start the end, the concluding part portion of the program, which is the intercivilizational cultural celebration. Um, and I think we would, between the performances, we also want there, we want to carry James Baldwin into that section by have reading excerpts, like oh, yeah. past, very specific passages from some of his essays. In particular, like essays like The Uses of the Blues mm. or The Dangerous Road Before Martin Luther King Jr. Like essays that a lot of people may not have heard mm. heard from, from Baldwin. And what about To Kill a Serpent? Oh, to crush a serpent. To crush a serpent. Yeah, we could do to crush a serpent too, but there are many to choose from. Yeah, we haven't done that yet. The title is so compelling, and it was his last published essay. Wow. Yeah, it's really nice. It's really nice. (laughs) So we just we haven't decided the passages or readers yet, Um, but I think one change we made is I don't know if we'll have time for poetry anymore. but that's something we should discuss later. Yeah, we wanted instead that maybe made sense this time rather than putting poetry in that we instead just read Baldwin's words. Mm-hmm. Um, but the performers are yes, and we did add performers, which is why our time is like very crunched this time. But that's okay. Um, which is Osiris Wildfire will be performing, and he um, I ran into him in the street uh, when I was going to get dinner with Nuri which made me late to dinner with Nuri because I talked to him, but he was like so excited about the event and he was like, oh, yeah, I've been practicing for months now for this. And I was like, what? And yeah, he was like, I made a set, like he's pulling music from that time period as well. I don't know what that means exactly, but he, yeah, he felt very inspired for the event. So he'll be performing. Um, um, you're going to check on Ramundo, right? Oh God! Yes, yes. So we might have a performer from the, someone who was part of the Angolan liberation. Because his parents were, yeah. and he comes out of the Angolan struggle. Yes, which will really be, which will be really beautiful. Because in some ways, these performances are freedom songs. Mm-hmm. Like it's, you know what I mean? It's like art, art, like the artist's task is a revolutionary one, freedom songs, and so. Um, I think that'd be a really beautiful addition. Serafina is going to sing three songs. Maybe we can talk, or three to four songs. Maybe we can talk through your set. Um, I knew you would ask, but I have I've reached out to, well, Michelle helped me reach out to a student of Bobby Zangle yeah. from the Club Club. He also plays with the Temple Gospel Choir. Oh, that's good, yeah. With Ruth. That's cool. Uh, his name is Justin. He's a sweet, sweet dude. Um, but I called him, and we are gonna practice. Uh, yeah, I don't know why I couldn't find it. Yeah, I was just thinking about singing. Uh, well, Doc recommended we are climbing Jacob's ladder. But he wanted me to do that acapella. Mm-hmm. I have to also figure out how I would do it. So that's why I'm like. But okay, and then take me to the water, Nina Simone. Thank you, Master, for my soul by Donny Hathaway. And then um, mm, uh, maybe, maybe not the uh, We the People Who Are Darker Than Blue by Curtis Mayfield. But the whole thing question is how. Um, the songs fit around the certain. Is that interrupting? Oh. I want to say thank you. No, uh, 
Did you leave your information with someone? She has my information, okay. but oh, I can't do you have a flyer? Okay. Oh, no. uh, and I'll be down Saturday. For sure. And we'll see you next Saturday. She has a flyer for you. Ah, essence mm. and I think ultimately I agree with you Nuri we're at a certain time where we aren't working in a, the framework or in any given framework and we're making a new framework and working with what we are uh, what is founded by the black freedom movement or however you want to say it America. So that's also what these songs will mean. I came to the songs because they resonate with me. But what seems like these songs are also saying to me now is this call, in a way, for a certain type of rebirth. Mm. Um, and a certain type of confirmation and acknowledgement of who we are. So I think that's kind of what the essence I'll be working around. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. Um, and then the last performer will end with um, Alfie Pollitt, mm. who will perform solo um, and will perform, I don't know if you want to describe the Coltrane Philly sound. Yeah. Oh. Well, I think we still need to talk with him about it, unless someone else has already talked with him. Did, but, do we want the Coltrane, R&B, Coltrane, Philly sound kind of combination? Okay, definitely. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so that would be, the end portion would be like a lot of music. Um, you forgot Ramia. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, <my gosh. laughs> yeah, yeah, after Cyrus was, um, Ramya Shankaran's students will perform um, kind of, it's, I think it's a performance based on um, Palestine and freedom, um, like she, she people fighting know, for freedom. She's not doing what the cage bird sings. Well, I don't know exactly what she's doing, but okay. she told me these are some of the things that she's okay. trying to draw upon in choreography mm -hmm. for the students. Mm -hmm. Because she's making something new, right? Mm, possibly. Yeah, so it's classical Indian dance, which would be really beautiful. Um, and so, kind of the end, I feel like, will be very much a feeling of like a single garment of destiny, but also just, yeah, the inter civilizational cultural performance. And, and I also think, even though it's not necessarily spoken word, in some ways I see it also as what Baldwin says as creating a new language. Um, and also something we've talked about in the facilitator meetings is, I think it was Jeremiah who said this, where it's like, in some ways we're using James Baldwin as the meeting ground, yeah. like that meeting ground for the American people yeah. to meet um, and create a new language, a vocabulary. And like, it's in the documentary too, but James Baldwin, he says, like, we're at the end of using a vocabulary yeah, that can no see. longer bear the weight of reality. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's time to create a new language. <laughs> 
So that's kind of will lead, will conclude that the launch, the official launch of the year, James Baldwin, and leave people um, with an understanding also of the architecture of the year. That there will be events, yes, but there most importantly, there are reading groups across the city, and also some in Chicago and New Mexico. And this is really us with the people of Philadelphia, like meeting, like coming to that meeting ground, like understanding. Um, what today, like the crisis of today, demands of us to become with each other, um, and then so that's not the inauguration. There will be some refreshments, um, and then the next following day, our podcast for the whole year will begin. So maybe you guys can talk about oh, the one that, Oh, I guess before we move into the podcast, the event will be free and open to the public. We already have had 300 RSVPs, and so it's closed. But we welcome people to come. It's we'll be on a first uh, come, first serve basis. We do have a GoFundMe, and the GoFundMe, namely, is for um, the performers, the uh, water um, outreach materials, and also a print of our the first issue of Avant Garde. Mm. And so, um, for those online. All that information can be found on our Facebook, on the live stream. Uh, for today, those in person, I'll pass around an envelope, and those will go to uh, the event next Saturday. Oh, okay. Are you want to talk about t-shirts real quick? Uh, we're also, we also did a printing of uh, short and long sleeve t-shirts that are for the year of James Baldwin, and that's the title of the shirt across the top is the year of James Baldwin. And then at the bottom, under his image, it says, God's Revolutionary Voice. So those will also be available at the event. And that's really Yeah, I think it'll be great. Yeah, it's going to be, the shirts will be beautiful. I've seen the design, it's beautiful. Mm. You know, I, think, <laughs> yes. I mean, Yes, it was ideated so. by Tony Montero. Ideated. Um, and remember the, the two banners we're going to have? Could yes, you, those will be designed yeah. today. Yeah. <laughs> two of them. So could you describe them, Emily, whoever? <laughs> well, they're still in my head. Okay, well, so yeah, we want to we wanna print two pop-up banners for the whole year to bring with us. And the images are similar to the t-shirt of the of James Baldwin with gold leaf as inspired by Barbie Hendricks, um, who grew up in Doc's neighborhood. And no, 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 no. He grew up in Tioga. Oopsies. Oh, he grew up with, uh, in Tioga with Lee Morgan? Lee Morgan? Yeah, in Lee, Lee Morgan's okay, neighborhood. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so. <laughs> and one banner will be, like, Year James Baldwin, God's Revolution. The other banner will be. Um, the people of Philadelphia region, um, and kind of both will like. I think it'll be different colors. They'll both have gold leaf. Both have different images of gold leaf, and it'll just be a way for us to like have his image always there wherever we go. Um, but yeah, the day after February uh, of the inauguration, which is next Saturday, February seventeenth. So the following day, Sunday, February eighteenth, we'll launch our podcast, which will have run for the whole year of James Baldwin, which is run by um, the podcast team. Um, so you guys can talk about the first episode and that idea of the podcast. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we 
we decided to start the podcast the day after the inauguration to you know also have that sense of continuity and the first well it's called James Baldwin God's Revolutionary Voice the same as the year and the first episode is again like the documentary it's going to be called Witness and Prophecy 100 mm. years 100 so years of title. 100 years of James Baldwin and um well firstly we will take that opportunity the first podcast episode to um announce the year of James Baldwin in Philadelphia but also say a little bit about free school and you know basically try and give the context of what you guys were saying of what is our shared terms on which we now we, we are basically reintroducing Baldwin for this time and so we'll spend some time we'll read the whole vision statement on the first episode and then we will have you know hopefully an hour of discussion about the vision statement because there's so much there that really can be like you know developed through conversation and one of the things that we wanted to focus on is you know the you know the love ethic or the centrality of love in Baldwin which is also the centrality in you know the black radical tradition mm. and it comes from that you know and so we want to basically highlight some of the you know things from the vision statement that can give context for the whole year and as discussants we will have for the first episode doc and emily and alice as organizers of the year also to give a sense of what all we are planning to do throughout the city of philadelphia um yeah so that you want to say something Mm. We're also going to be showing clips. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So we're kind of multimedia as it were, but that yeah, we're going to show clips of Baldwin and because we also want to promote Baldwin as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Even if we are reading from the vision statement, we're excited to get to actually reading Baldwin in the following week. So that's why we were Yeah, we want to read him and see him in the flesh and you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Basically, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, one of the things that we discovered um in, you know, designing the shirts the t-shirts long sleeve and short sleeve and and trying to come up with a way to depict Baldwin mm-hmm. different from what has been mm-hmm. and he's you know so many wonderful photographs mm-hmm. of him he's so striking you know um and one of the things when we went to the Barclay Hendrix um uh, retrospective up in New York you know the first thing we saw when we we came in mm-hmm. and this is what Sarah and I've been talking about for some time about how we use gold mm-hmm. and and as it were we went in and the first portrait right. was this uh Barclay Hendricks portrait of a young woman with an afro mm-hmm. but the striking thing was his use of gold leaf mm-hmm. and um and we said Wow, that's the gold. That's where we have to use gold in that gold leaf. Mm-hmm. And so the depiction of Baldwin uh is and I hope it um uh, how does it come off Michelle in, in on the shirts? Do the gold does that gold leaf come out? Does it um 
I could pass it around if people want to look at it, or should I just... But on the actual shirt? They're in North Philly right now, we didn't get them okay. yet. Okay, <laughs> well, I was just wondering, because... I think it comes through. Okay. It's, it's, the te it's the color and the vibrancy of it, but it's also the texture that yeah. I think yes. makes the quality yes. come through. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be kind of, I think... A signature yeah. of the way we represent Baldwin. Oh, yeah, that's so interesting. You know, with that gold leaf. I know on the pop-ups. Oh, yeah. And I think the importance of this. There's certain, you know, as everyone has said, vastly unique qualities to this year Baldwin. One of them is the depiction of him, and I think that unique use of gold leaf like Barclay Hendricks did mm -hmm. will, mm, I, th I think it will, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, without some mm -hmm. idea of a halo over his head or anything, yeah. but it will be, um, I, I don't know how to describe yeah, 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 yeah. it, yeah, but well, how would you describe it, Michelle? I mean, the use of the gold leaf. Oh, it's like, it's um, it's like being gilded a little mm -hmm. bit, but also maybe you could say like it sanctifies him. Sanctify, okay. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, but no, no, let, let's think saying. about it. No, but I, I, but the gold leaf, and I'm just also trying to think of, you oh. know, a person outside of ourselves. Mm -hmm. I think it will strike people. It's on the shirts, it's on everything. But I, I'm just wondering how, mm -hmm. what will they... Well, what is an exa two examples is that, Say that again. two examples yes. are the this hoodie and then the what was it shoot the t-shirt with the yellow on it Robeson no ten maybe it's just the hoodie I want to speak to because I know that the hoodie people look you know and they're like wow that's nice or like. <laughs> This is dumb. At the cafe, this bougie white woman, she'd come up and she'd be like, continue to struggle. <laughs> <laughs> like some shit like that. They so look she, at the, they, you know, they that, then at the same time, it does have an air to yeah. it. It's a certain yeah. air, like, damn, you wear an Espo shirt every day? It's like, yeah. but yeah. The funniest is when you wear it through the airport. Like TSA is like looking at you. <laughs> I always get looks from TSA when I wear that hoodie to the airport. <laughs> Maybe that has something to do with it. But I think this one is going to be different than any that we've done thus far. Yeah. yeah. And I think because of its concern, not just with like everything else, is the photo of the person we want to talk about mm. but this is the name mm -hmm. I, no I think that I think I think just the way it is depicted and, mm. and Michelle did this I, she put this design this but it is just so y'all know there are two ways we're dealing with the gold leaf we're dealing with it with a, a whole semicircle okay. you know and then another way I think on the t-shirts mm. we're dealing with it the gold mm -hmm. leaf as part a part of you know mm -hmm. and he has this scarf. Uh, very beautiful scarf on mm -hmm. so it is it is color it's multicolored mm -hmm. on a black t-shirt and i think it depicts baldwin in the way we want him depicted in the ways that we talk about mm -hmm. him and i think it is not just another t-shirt 
uh, representing Baldwin. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, it's. It, I think it is more than that. It carries through the aesthetic a representation of a profound person, a profound mind, mm -hmm. a spiritual and political being. Mm -hmm. So that's I just wanted to. Mm -hmm. um, maybe along with the podcast we can talk about avant-garde. And then we can finish by talking about, um, and then we can go into maybe people talking about their different reading group sites. But first, I'll go ahead. Well, do you want to talk about the theme again? Sure. So our second issue, which we're planning to launch in April, with our correct me if I'm wrong, but our next year of Baldwin like large event. Mm -hmm. um, but we would like to dedicate it to King. And our third issue, which we plan to launch in August, which is going to be the centennial anniversary of like James Baldwin's birth, um, that's, that issue we plan to dedicate to Baldwin. But we wanted to dedicate the second issue to King to precede that in a way and say that the road through King leads, like you need King in order to see Baldwin. And Baldwin and King were produced by the same revolutionary mo movement. Mm -hmm. um, and we're still formulating, like we're still working on formulating um, our editorial statement and exactly how we want to frame things, but we want to impart, both through Baldwin and King, the sense of urgency and this idea that now is the time. This is the fierce urgency of now. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. But King, he's indispensable to us, and I think he was also indispensable to Baldwin. Like that language, that worldview, that capacity to struggle. Um, there's so much to say, but I, I think he's, he's, it's going to be the perfect dedication. And um, this is something that we've also been conceptualizing, but tentatively for the cover, we would like, to, like it to feature Serafina's artwork that's going to be a depiction of King and Baldwin together. Mm -hmm. And you, you could talk about it more if you want. No, I'm just getting my head around everything, to be <laughs> honest. Because I was texting Michelle maybe three times, like, is this for the cover of Avant-Garde? Not to be, because I feel like I was kind of not getting it. Um, but um, yeah, we've been talking about it. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, it's going to be, it, Complex formulation, I guess, is one way to say mm -hmm. it. I think uh, there's a lot of sensitivities to consider, um, but it would definitely also be new. Mm -hmm. That's also what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think the other thing we wanted to assert, like through this issue as the theme, it's kind of, our, the dedication is just a framing in a way. Um, but we want to say that King King is the father of our new nation. Like we were talking about earlier today, that King is still the father of the new nation. He's still the leader of, you know, the third American revolution, the fourth American revolution. Um, and, um, yeah, I, yeah, the new nation, like yeah. the new nation, the new American it's people. Very interesting. That, that we assert there has been a third American revolution and it is still alive. And the life world of Philadelphia is also a testament to this. Um, but Jeremiah could talk more about the substance of the next issue. Yeah. Um, well, because part of it is that for avant-garde as a whole, as part of free school, 
this is kind of one outlet in some ways of like free schools thinking um but especially we want and almost in a way that baldwin was like we also want to be witnesses for this time witness, yeah. um like we want to bear witness for the emerging movement of the american people as well as the, uh, the movement of world humanity and um so yeah, I think like also like contextualizing it within like the American crisis, the world crisis, like Gaza, all that stuff. But um, but yeah, so I, I can just give an overview of the articles that we'll have in the second issue, which I think are really exciting. Um, but Samir is working on an article about the Palestine movement and looking at it both from a personal narrative of how he came into it, but also um, like a critical examination of where it is now, where it's going, and um, like some critiques as well. Um, Serafina is going to try to work on a, a dual, a two-parter, one of which is a painting um, on Palestine, which is more oriented like the present moment, and then potentially also the article that also deals with Palestine and kind of like Black America and King, but you know, still working on the ideas. Um, and then Michelle, Kathy, and Tony are going to have a dialogue with Leo Gadsden. Oh, yeah. Um, you were like, what did I get tagged? <laughs> 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 uh, with, uh, yeah, so, so basically, um, yeah, like Leo Gadsden um, is kind of like an institution of the Philadelphia jazz community, yeah. if, if that's accurate, um, and also talk about the civil rights movement and jazz and the black arts tradition. Um, and we want this to be also an experiment of a new kind of style of interviewing, where it's not just like, we ask you questions and then you respond, but more of a dialogue. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that. I'm going to try to work on an article defending the third American revolution mm -hmm. as a revolution mm -hmm. and exploring yeah. what it teaches mm -hmm. about the American revolutionary process mm -hmm. and what it sets mm -hmm. up for the next stage of struggle in our time. Mm -hmm. Nathan is going to try to work on an article that's an update on his presentation at the Winston Symposium. It's essentially, if I understand that, how young people can find Martin Luther King mm -hmm. again. Um, so actually, in, in many ways, like, a lot of these articles are kind of in conversation with each other. Um, then Magna is working on an article about the peace industrial economy as, as she says, as an alternative to both deindustrialization and the ruling elites kind of push for a quote-unquote knowledge economy. Um, but you can also even talk about it with like Biden, like Trump, like populism, you know, all that stuff. Um, and also go back to basically like people like King and Fred Scott King. Um, and like the world peace movement. Yeah. And then Shambarto and Porva are working on an article about the counter-revolution in science oh, and how yes. this reflects kind of like not just a crisis in like the scientific world but also the crisis of like legitimacy in the United States and the crisis of knowledge um, in the West and kind of go back to a revolutionary science that emerges from the Black Freedom Movement and from revolutionary movements mm -hmm around the world, so going back to like, you know, people like Du Bois and Didi Kosambi, but also Baldwin as a philosopher and kind of bringing back science into the realm of philosophy and the revolutionary sense. And then Blaze will be contributing um, poetry to this issue as well and is considering writing new poems 
as well kind of in this in the vein of the the theme or the dedication of this issue um potentially yeah, synthesizing like king at this time and then i think nandita maybe raji working with her working together um are going to be work, are writing an article about king as a world historic figure mm. and how he um is received in india you know where they've been trying to lift up the memory of king together with like gandhi and india's revolutionary tradition um so yeah a lot of articles but hopefully as michelle was saying like this helps to lay the groundwork for how we even understand baldwin as a revolutionary figure um which we'll explore in the the third issue in, in august tomorrow yeah do a um maybe I actually thought it'd be nice if the different facilitators um, to kind of cover the people of Philadelphia v. James Baldwin, that literacy campaign. If the people who are facilitating can just talk about what site you're doing um, and kind of just what you're thinking or where you're at. Um, like I know we have a facilitator meeting on Tuesday, but you so you don't have to go long into it, but just briefly, it'd be just nice to hear different people's voices talking about the different reading sites, the locations. So we can just start with Yeah, no, I have the list of reading or locations with me, so I'll just go down the list. Well, people can pop so, oh, or that. Oh, I popcorn. Yeah, it's just popcorn. Popcorn. Um, well, okay, I can start. <laughs> yeah, um, so Kathy and I will be, like, we were planning to have a reading group at this church um, for the longest time, but I think we have made our peace and moved on to a different location. And we're going to be doing it at a bookstore in West Philly. It's called the Making Words Bookstore. And uh, I think we are, like, you know, we have been talking to each other and with everybody mm -hmm. to sort of figure out, because I think with Baldwin, like really, there are like 10,000 cases you can start. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, it depends on what we see, you know, what we see mm -hmm. as the most important contradictions or the questions, like, you know, for the people who are a part of it. And uh, I think that's where we're at and, you know, in line with how we're thinking about Baldwin today, like the whole conversation you know, like, you know, for the last few preschools, where the essential uh, um, the question is about the moral choice and how he's constantly saying that no matter how arbitrary the moral choice seems to you, you must make it every single day. And I think this this really speaks to young people, especially who we envision to be like you know the, like most of the people mm -hmm. who come to um you know a bookstore in West Philly, right, right. and we actually went there last week uh, mm -hmm. I mean, to see a talk on on you know, genocide law and Gaza and so on, and we got a chance to see the kind of people who would come there. So yeah, we're going on from there to see where like you know where we go, and it's it's, it's going to be at the bookstore. Um, you know, once in two weeks, it's going to be either a Friday or Sunday yeah, that's yeah. going to be fixed very soon. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, I'm like, mm, haven't really decided in a sense. I've been working with Emily about uh, uh, the library, uh, the main branch library. Um, and I jumped in with Jeremiah uh, with the West Philadelphia location, but I haven't decided on which location I will stay at, but that's what. 
Uh, I'll be at the Wooden Shoe Bookstore, which is at 7th and South in South Philly, um, with Santanu and Nathan. Um, and we've met with people from the Wooden Shoe and discussed the year of Baldwin and uh, what we're trying to do with the, the year of Baldwin. Um, we've talked a lot about the vision statement and using that as, as something to begin with and being very upfront about what we're doing um, and talked about the kind of character or principles or conduct we want to bring, being, being patient, coming with a lot of grace, um, yeah. but also uh, a confidence in what we know. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah. that's when she um, Oh, sorry, we're starting on March 12th, doing every other Tuesday, the second and, and fourth Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for for West Philly, we met with this West Philly High School. We met with um, Catherine, Serafina, Alice, and I recently, and then we also might try to meet as like just to get the two high school groups together with West Philly and South Philly High School with Brandon as well. Um, but we're in the process of developing a syllabus that we need to bring to the school administrators. Um, so that's kind of like where we're at and just figuring out when we can actually, we don't know yet exactly when we can start in West Philly High School. Um, so I think we need to work that out with the, the school. Uh, for South Philadelphia High, it'll be likely February 27th. Um, we'll be starting uh, along with Brandon Doe. We're thinking about, well, there'll be an introduction to the students, so on and so forth. Um, but starting with letter to my nephew, and then um, uh, potentially watching a couple of clips, and then going into the first novel, uh, If Bill Street Could Talk. Mm. Oh, wow. Whoa. Herba, Nuri, and I are organizing Lotus at the University of Pennsylvania, and we started fall semester, or we started a couple months ago, um, leading James Baldwin leading up to the year of Baldwin and now we're working out how to transition seamlessly into like really the political practice and engagement of the year of Baldwin as a literacy campaign. Mm. Um, but our reading group is mostly dedicated or our audience is mostly like university students and students in West Philadelphia at the University of Pennsylvania. So, uh, Samir, Doc, and Derek and I will be at Muhammad's Mosque Number no. Twelve in uh, on Fifty Seven Twenty Seven Germantown Avenue. Uh, we're still working out the starting date and the time as well. But uh, even just speaking with, for example, Brother David, I feel a positive reception and uh, still working on the uh, way to speak about Baldwin in a way that. Mm-hmm. Takes and uh, t- takes and builds on the uh, I would say the life giving teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and the Honorable Minister who was far from. Mm-hmm. And then those are the um, those are the live locations. But I don't know if you want to talk about Zion. Uh, so we met. Last week, Sunday, um, was a very positive meeting, so I'll be following up with 
Brenda from uh, Zion Baptist to establish a weekly reading group uh, at Zion. There was also talk of potentially two different groups, one for those who are uh, younger and then um, like uh, high school and above. And then I'm still working with Osaze to get um, to see if we can do a reading group at his church, Mother Zoar, Mother African Zoar United Methodist Church. Zor. Sorry, I was messed up. Zor. <laughs> Mother African Zoar United Methodist Church. Um, and that, like, it, it's okay that some reading groups may start a later wave. I think that's totally okay. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm still talking to Asati yeah. about that. And then we have, and then another one of the later wave. Reading groups also might be one focused totally on novels at the Black Writers oh Museum. Yeah. Yeah. Which would be interesting yeah. if it only focused on novels. And then the satellite locations are uh, Meghna, Jahan, and Neha are doing a reading group in Chicago. Um, Marty's doing one in Albuquerque. And Marty, I talked to Marty, and Marty said she already has 20 people who signed up. Ooh, and wow. she's mostly, she's very interested in talking a lot about Baldwinian concept of whiteness. Um, especially because of, she thinks that, she was like, I think, especially the idea of a literacy campaign is really needed in New Mexico. And that this concept of whiteness and Baldwinian whiteness, what that means, is like something that she's really interested in focusing on. And then Todd will be at the Santa, probably the Santa Fe Library or somewhere in Santa Fe. It's those two New Mexico sites. Um, so those are the reading sites, and I'm hoping to make public the sites that are open to the public, and then we can just note like places like we can talk about this at our Tuesday meeting, but places like Penn or the high schools that are not open to the public but are only open to specific students. Like we should just we don't have to give a location or times. We can just say that we we have reading sites there, and if people are interested in knowing more, you should contact this person or this email. Um, I think that's it. Oh, go ahead. What's, I, I don't know. Have we followed up on that bookstore in West Philly that we were at last week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was the first presentation you had done when you were away. Yeah, I mean, we have followed yeah. up with them and they have been responsive. <laughs> right. And we'll be starting a reading group there. Mm-hmm. Uh, like sometime in the second week of March, same as the others. Okay. But the dates and all are, are, to be, are yet to be mm-hmm. finalized. Yeah. That's the same with the uh, Black Writers Museum, where they're doing construction. Mm-hmm. Supreme Dow said, but they want to find a place in Germantown where they can. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so our next facilitators meeting is Tuesday, but otherwise, um, especially before the inauguration, I just want the, I want the public, I want the website, the Europe James Baldwin website, the page for the reading groups. I would like to have as much up-to-date information as possible. The most important piece of information is really just like, who is the point person at your reading group? Because even if you don't have the date and time yet, as long as mm-hmm. you guys choose a point person for your site and whose email and phone number I can put on the public-facing website, then people can sign up or reach out to you if they're interested. And then, um, and then, I'll, and then, like I said, if you want to come with flyers or sign-up sheets, like feel free to do that. Like we can just have it available for people at the free library oh, and you yeah. can sign up. Because yeah. um, we'll be doing the same for the central branch location mm-hmm. for our reading group. Um, and then, other than that, oh yes, other than that, we'll um, 
yeah, we'll just see. I'll also put I'll put a general outreach email, like the free school email. If people reach out, we'll forward it to the different facilitators, so you can, if people are interested. Um, and then lastly is, so we covered um, the inauguration, the podcast, avant garde, the people of Philadelphia region, Baldwin, and all the reading sites. So as you can see, there's a large, there's a robust infrastructure we're building here for the year of James Baldwin, and it's all done by us. No, I'm just saying it because I think I forget sometimes when I'm. I, I'm trying to keep track too. Yeah, that we're doing a lot, and it's because we, like Michelle was saying, we're sanctifying James Baldwin's name, but also it's to like we're raising the people of philadelphia as well like the american people and yeah i think it'll be a really great year um it will be i yeah it will be a lot but i also think the level of unity we have with each other mm -hmm. is unprecedented and um i know that we can do anything together um and so last thing is just that like michelle mentioned our our next event like in addition to you know this ongoing infrastructure we have, we're going to have events every few months. Um, just to give a sense of the frequency of these larger events, um, the next one will be April 4th. It'll probably be an evening event. April 4th is a Thursday, so that's why it'll probably be an evening event. It's to commemorate um, Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech, Beyond Vietnam, A Time to Break Silence. Um, and we're hoping that it can be at a church and we we don't know the exact specifics of that event yet it's being worked out but in addition to that evening event maybe we'll have like other evenings to build into the weekend we'll see um the next event after that april 4th event is going to be august august will be a really big month for us because that is that is james baldwin's birth month and so we will be both celebrating his birthday and also maybe um, celebrate, commemorating Du Bois's, um, I think his, the passing of Du Bois. Oh yeah, the 20th. The March of yeah, Washington. Yeah, like, so there's a lot to oh, commemorate yes, in August. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and then that's also the month we want to launch a public public exhibit. Um, and that's something we should get a move on. Yes. Um, yes. Is building a city, a public citywide exhibit in celebration of James Baldwin. The free library is down to be part of it. The blocks and collection is down. We still need to reach out to City Hall. But the idea is, what would it look like if we do a, a call to revolutionary artists and poets um, and really create this public exhibit in celebration of not just James Baldwin, but all he represents, the revolutionary, with the people, like, you know, everything we talk about, and for it to span across the city, across different institutions. So that's another piece um yeah. and i think we're still building out who will work on it but if you're interested like anyone can work on it i think kathy's interested mary's interested um it'll be a committee like and it'll be nice because it'll be a multi-month of working things out ideas mm -hmm. um the free library is very interested in like giving you guys access to their um their rare collections mm -hmm. where they might they have baldwin some original some of baldwin's original print novels and stuff um, so that can be part of the exhibit. Uh, August, and then I think after that, we have, we were thinking of having an event in October, um, specifically on like the Afro-Asiatic reconstitution, the anti-colonial movement, James Baldwin. That will coincide with Gandhi's birthday, the founding of the People's Republic of China, like many, many important dates are in October. Uh, so we'll see from there. And then the summer, the summer will be like, 
mainly focused on documentary screenings. Like we were thinking of a documentary screening a month, but we'll, we have to talk about that. Cause that's something the free library would, would do anyways. <coughs> they do summer film screenings anyways. So no major events necessarily, not so, as of right now, we don't have any plan, but we'll be doing documentary screenings. And we also know that some reading groups might be on pause. Some might be taking summer breaks, some might not. Um, and so if your reading group's taking a summer break and you want to get involved in the documentary screen, it's just a way for there to be some flexibility. Um, so that's the architecture of the year so far. Which is also my way of saying, get ready, get ready to crumble, because <laughs> the time has come. Um, Can I just say one thing, um, Emily? Yes, um, we're still working on Lincoln University. Um, and it looks like a professor in the English department is going to take up a course on Baldwin. However, we want more. And um, I think something uh, like a, a symposium at Lincoln, mm -hmm. if not um, in the spring this semester, at least for the fall semester, uh, and there are other things, but yeah. Mm. Did you want to announce your um, talk at Lincoln University this week? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, there'll be a two-day symposium, pretty much organized by Dwight Murphy. You know Dwight, you remember Dwight? Um, and uh, it will be uh, on um, the Black Power period, and they'll have some alumni from that period speaking on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. And on Thursday, there's going to be a, a discussion between Dwight Murphy and myself about Charles Hamilton and Stokely Carmichael's book, Black Power, mm -hmm. which was written at Lincoln. Charles Hamilton was a professor and mentor at Lincoln during our time. Mm -hmm. so. That's on um, this uh, Wednesday and Thursday, uh, and it'll be good if if all, whoever can come up there, we can work out um, work out how to get up there. It's not a long drive, um, and um, I think it'll be just just from the standpoint of a historically black college. I know y'all were down at Fisk a couple years ago, uh, but this. Lincoln is considered the oldest historically black college, has a, a celebrated history, not so celebrated presence, mm -hmm. I would say, but uh, a future maybe. But um, I think it would be just very um, uh, eye-opening education mm -hmm. to be at a historically black college. Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's so that's this two Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, do you have the Michelle? Do you have? Oh, um, it looks like the program on Wednesday is from what like noon to 5 p.m. Yeah, and then the program on Thursday is just that talk between you and Dwight. Right? And that's from three to, to something, five. right? I think three to five. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I'll, okay, briefly on February 14th, it's it begins with the unveiling of Hamilton Papers at noon, 1 p.m. Um, there, 
is a discussion on there's a discussion and then another discussion at 3 p.m. Dr. Hamilton in the Freedom Movement at Lincoln University and then that concludes the program for February 14th and then February 15th discussion between Dr. Montero and Professor Dwight Murray 3 to 5 p.m. So I, I, I mean, I, I just, it'd be great for y'all to come up there. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Dwight, Dwight would be very happy. I, I've already ensured him that some free school people were coming up there. Yeah. I don't know how many people can get off of work that day, but, yeah. but if you can't, don't worry about it. Okay, I'll let you know off live stream. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they have a live stream. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'll let you know my availability when I'm off camera. I have to say I'm a little bit afraid of what some of my uh, oh. alumni of my period are going to say, because a lot of these cats have become crackpots in the meantime. <laughs> oh, uh oh. Okay. Uh oh. <laughs> oh nuts. Oh, by the way, I just want to announce that uh, the Church of the Crucifixion has completed their construction work and is reopening. They have a reopening today, kind of an open house, and a mass, and of course we couldn't come today, uh, but a mass uh, tomorrow starting at 11. Okay. And it would be nice if we showed up, you know. We'll be there. Oh, good, good, good. And then we'll leave from there and go up to October Gallery. Okay. Sounds good. So we want to, um, you know, re-establish our relations with the Church of the Crucifixion. Okay. Well. What time are you going to be in the gallery? Two o'clock. Two o'clock. The one on Market Street. No, no, no. No, no. this is October. October Gallery. October Gallery. Yeah. Okay, I know we are. Okay, well, thanks to all of our commenters. It's lunchtime. And um, we got, I guess we never decided whether we were live streaming the inauguration or not. Oh, we have a lot. Okay, but we can. So you can catch us on the live stream next week for, the, for inaugurating the year James Baldwin God's Revolutionary Voice. And. Here we go. So, bye. Bye. bye.